Welcome to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring Coast to Coast AM, from February 3rd, 1997. From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening, good morning, as the case may be, across all these many time zones, from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Island chains, eastward across this great land, flyover country, to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north all the way to the Poland worldwide on the Internet. This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell, and tonight, Alex Jason is going to be here, in fact, shortly. And if you have ever wondered about the use of guns, uh, he's going to be your guy. I'll tell you all about him. If you've ever wondered what you're able to do to protect yourself and perhaps as importantly what you're not able to do he's your guy if you've ever wondered what a crime scene analyst does and a lot of americans did until the oj trial as a matter of fact he uh, covered some of that for cbs uh forensic uh, animations shooting incident reconstructions that kind of thing that's Mr. Jason's territory, and we're going to be talking to him shortly, late in the program, Steve Forbes, the presidential uh, candidate, Steve Forbes, that'll be uh, late this morning, or early East Coast time, depending on how you look at it. So all of that coming up this morning. Who is Alex Jason? Alexander Jason, uh, from here forth, known to us as Alex. He says the focus of his professional work is crime scene analysis and shooting incident reconstruction. He says his area of specialty is the science of wound ballistics, which relates to the use of firearms against humans, and specifically to the interaction of projectiles and the human body. In other words, getting shot. He says his interests are in the performance of firearms and ammunition and the human dynamics of shooting, which include both the person shooting and the person being shot. He performs ballistic consulting and shooting incident reconstruction for both defense and prosecution. Aha! Uh -huh. Plays both sides of the court. <laughs> He's got a long, 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 very long uh, a resume, very impressive. Is a member of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, the Association of Crime Scene Reconstruction, International Wound Ballistics Association, International Homicide Investigators Association, International Association of Bloodstained Pattern Analysts, International Association for Identification, Association of Firearm and Tool Make, uh, Tool Mark uh, Make That Examiners technical advisor, American Society of Law Enforcement Trainers. He is an ex-cop. He is the president-elect of the Association of Crime Scene Reconstruction, and on and on and on and on. This fellow has uh, testified uh, in front of Congress. Uh, in other words, folks, he is definitely in this area uh, an expert. Worked for the San Francisco Police Department from 1970 through 74, as a detective investigator, uh, worked with Second Chance Body Armor. Second, that's good, good, that's a very good name for a body armor company, Second Chance. 
I like that. Alex, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Art. So you do kind of work both sides, defense and prosecution. You are an expert for hire. I am an expert for hire. That is, I'm available for hiring. My opinion cannot be hired other than I will give you my opinion. I always, I you, you know, I always wondered about that. In other words, the guy who signs the check, no influence whatsoever? Um, not in terms of my analysis or my conclusions. Now, what will happen is often they'll come to me with a case and say, we think, uh, uh, sometimes, generally they won't be this blatant about it, but they'll say, we want to get this guy off. Mm-hmm. And uh, we think that there could be a case here for self-defense, that he was shot at first. I say, well, let me look at uh, the physical evidence, whatever is available, and I'll give you my opinion. So they'll send me a, generally a big box full of stuff, and I'll go through it. And I'll call up and I'll say, uh, I don't see anything here that's consistent with his version of the event, that it was self-defense. There's nothing in here. And they'll say something, well, are you sure? There's no, I said, no, there's nothing in here to substantiate what he says. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, thank you very much. And that's the end of it. And they don't hire you? Or well, they, well they... they hire me just for that time. I see. But I don't testify. And they may find somebody else who will do what they want. Um, I try to act as a scientist, as a forensic scientist, in terms of, let's put it on a basic level, if I were a... Uh, a serology lab, and you came to me with a blood sample, and you want to know the alcohol content. Now it may hurt your client, it may help your client, but I don't. I just tell you what the results are. I don't. I don't try to help you or hurt you. I just say this is what it is. Is yeah, but your science is not quite as clear as say DNA work or blood work, is it? In other words, there's a little bit more wiggle room. Uh, in in trying to present a case for self-defense, or at least many times you would think there would be not quite as exact a science. Well, I'm surprised to hear you say that, Art, but you're quite right. Uh, you're very perceptive. Now, most people don't understand it to that, uh, to that uh, level, but yes, you are right. There is more, as you say, wiggle room. There's more room for, um, for adjustment, you might say, for presenting things in different ways. And it's very difficult... And it's a constant struggle to remain objective. I don't want to be someone for hire. I really try to maintain my integrity. And sometimes it's very difficult. And sometimes you get clients who say, I don't want you to say that. When we're into trial, and they say, well, they might ask you, what, what if the, uh, the other side asks you this or that? I'll say, well, I'll say this or this. So I don't want you to say that. I said, well, then you better hope he doesn't ask me the question. <laughs> doesn't ask, ask me the question, because I'm going to have to answer it that way. But that, it's very difficult, but that's, that's how I approach it. So a constant ethical fight. And you, you, I'm sure you're fighting constantly to uh, take the high ground as best you can. I am. And see, in the long run, uh, people don't hire whores, is what they're called. Right. And, I, and even someone who, who is mad at me or resents my opinion or not, my not cooperating fully, as he might think of it, will also, I hope, respect me for being truthful. All right, um, you've done an awful lot of work. Uh, you're an ex-cop. You wor- worked mm-hmm. as a what? As a detective in San Francisco? Yes. Sir. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guns in America. Boy, there's a lot of guns in America. Oh, there's a lot of guns. I've got my own share. Yep. And um, I think people do not have very much of an understanding of when they may and when they may not use. A gun. State to state now, uh, in a lot of the western states, some uh, eastern, even in Florida, you can uh, take a short course and uh, carry a concealed weapon. But even that aside, 
millions of guns. How many guns are in America? Oh, I think there's more than 100 million. Um, 100 million. I, think there's supposed, I don't know. No one, no one really knows, but there's at least 100 million guns. Sitting in homes. And um, we have a lot of shootings in America. So I guess that keeps people like you very busy. But for the listeners of this program, I would like them to know when they can and when they can't use deadly force. Well, that's a very good question. And this is something that police officers are given uh, intense training, a continual training, an updated training on making those decisions, whereas the average citizen is not. And when you talk about people having uh, requiring being required to go to classes before they can get a concealed weapons permit or buy a gun in some states, this is true. But generally, the classes are just on safety about don't don't uh, clean the gun while it's loaded, keep right. it away from children, and that's fine. But here in California, we have a we have a class now, uh, basic firearm safety course. But it's safety. This never tells you when you can and when you cannot shoot someone in self-defense, because people are afraid to come out and say it. And that's it, the problem is if, if the average citizen calls up the police department and says, uh, "Excuse me, I want to know if a guy is uh, coming in my window, am I allowed to shoot him if this or that happens?" Well, they don't want to tell you. They don't want to answer your question because mm -hmm. they don't know who you are. They, they don't want you going shooting somebody that night and saying, "Well, uh, Officer uh, Bill Johnson over here at Central Station said it was okay." Right. So they're they're going to they're going to hem and haw. And I, I found that people I've, I've done a lot of cases where responsible citizens, good people, have used guns in an inappropriate, legally inappropriate manner, and have caused themselves all kinds of trouble, gone to prison, just and because they didn't really understand when they can and when they can't use it. Well, when I talked to you earlier today, you said, uh, look, and a lot of it depends on what you say when the police arrive. In other words, if there's right. been a shooting, uh, your attitude, your demeanor, what you say, bears on where that case is going to go. That's right. Well, first I'd like to say... To the people out there, rethink what you know. Many people think they know what to do and what not to do. But most of that knowledge, if they really examine it, has come from Hollywood, from TV and movies, right. and from a guy at the gun store and a guy over at the shooting range, another guy you met in the Army who told you some stuff. <laughs> and most of that is absolute crap. And I, I tell you, the, the, the fountain of misinformation, the central fountain of misinformation on the subject are gun stores. Everyone thinks that the guys who work at the gun store know this stuff. They don't, but they never tell you they don't know. They just they just give you opinions, and it's, it's terrible. So having said that, I don't want to encourage anybody to shoot somebody unless they have to. And I'm not trying to give anybody a reason to explain why they shot someone to get away with committing murder. Well, let's take a case down in Texas. Do you remember that recent case uh, in which there was a foreign student and there was a party going on or something, and he went to a wrong house? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And... Uh, uh, the fellow uh, who answered the door thought he was a threat, told him to freeze a word he did not understand in English. Mm -hmm. Naturally, he didn't freeze. Uh, the shot was fired, and uh, the, uh, the student died. Um, right. Now, as far as I know, that fellow walked. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't involved in the case. I'm not sure. I think there was two trials or something, and uh, I think he walked initially. Then he got he was found civilly liable or, or That's correct. something like that. That's right. Well, this is another thing you have to realize, that even though you may know the law, and you you think, well, I, I know I can shoot somebody if they uh, put a step of foot in my house, uh, whatever, um, you're going to get sued. This happens almost all the time. I deal with police departments very often. I, I, uh, I represent or I help police departments in defending their shootings. And 
you get the most egregious criminals who have been shot and their relatives will sue on their behalf and for, for clearly criminal acts that these guys are perpetrating. It doesn't matter anymore. There's money in it. So there are lawyers out there who encourage people to sue, and you're going to get, if you sue somebody, if he's not the worst criminal in the world with no relatives around, you're going to get sued. So you may be hmm. right. Hmm. You may be totally justified, but you're going to go to court and you're going to pay big money to defend yourself, like, uh, like O.J. Simpson. Sure. Uh, you did some work on that case for, what, CBS as a consultant? Well, I was a consultant to CBS News on that, on that mm -hmm. uh, case, and I did uh, a lot of computer animation for their news broadcast and their coverage of that. Care to comment on the outcome of the uh, criminal trial, egregious miscarriage uh, of justice, or do you think it came out the way it should have? Um, no, I think it was, a, it was a miscarriage of justice. I think it was a, it was a racial vote. It became a racial issue, not a, a political issue, a racial issue, not a not one of guilt or innocence. You know, we all we all talked about this. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, the civil trial is becoming uh, racial as well, but the other way around, it's really strange. Well, I'll tell you, Art, if you or I had uh, stabbed our wife, slashed our wife like that, and a friend, uh, we'd be in prison now. Uh, were you uh, a cop when that occurred? No. Sorry, I didn't look at the dates here. No, that's okay. No, I wasn't. No, the, the, the kind of thing I see is that people... So many people have guns in their house for self-defense. Right. And they're not really clear about when they can shoot them. Like, for, for example, one of the things you hear about is they say, well, if you shoot them outside, drag them back inside. Now, if anybody out there listening thinks that that is a viable tactic to use, they're, you're going to get in big, big, big trouble. That is an absolutely fallacious argument, a fallacious concept. Do not drag the body. Well, don't shoot anybody outside to begin with. Don't shoot them outside. Right. I mean, there's no reason to shoot them. Here, here's the thing. Every state has their law about this, when you can use deadly force. But if you follow the basic guidelines, this is valid in all 50 states, and that is you cannot use deadly force unless your life is threatened or the life of someone else is threatened. That's the basics of it. And what's going to happen when you're, if you're involved in a shooting, when the police arrive, they want to make a quick decision as to who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. So they're looking real quick to figure out, okay, what, what happened here? Right. And they're going to look at you and they're going to listen to you. And what you say is going to place you either in the category of a suspect or a victim who had to shoot. Hmm. And one of the, 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 the most important things is the concept that you have to understand. If you're using a gun for self-defense, you have to be in the situation where you can demonstrate that, that it was a last resort that you didn't want to shoot the person, but you had to. In you other words, you should, for your life. you should not be joyful at taking one more punk off the streets. That's right. And, and, and perhaps that's your feeling, and perhaps I would agree with you, but you cannot communicate that. If it looks like you did this, you were eager to shoot somebody, you're going to be in trouble. Well, the classic case, somebody's breaking into your house. All right? You've yeah. got a gun. It's dark. You don't know what they've got. You're not a trained uh, a person with a firearm, but they're breaking into your house. You shoot them. They fall down on your rug. You call the police. Then what? Well, the police are going to arrive. They're going to take a quick look. They're going to do a real a quick summation here. Of a year, they're going to look at you in your bathrobe, look at your wife and your crying kids and, and your nice house, and then this guy, hopefully uh, some real scummy-looking guy who's, uh, when they get his idea, he's got a record mile long. You're, you're in pretty good shape there. Now, they're going, to say, they're going to say, what happened? 
Now, some people will tell you, you're, you're the, the lawyer that you know at the Kiwanis Club there does wills and things. He's going to say, oh, don't make any statement. You don't have to talk. Well, no, you don't have to. He's right. But then you're probably going to get arrested because they're going to figure you're, you're hiding something. There's something going on here because an honest homeowner is, is, probably, is going to tell what happened. So are you better off appearing to be conversational, willing to explain yes. what occurred, or uh, uh, shutting your mouth and saying, I want my lawyer here? Well, I'm not a lawyer. I should be clear about that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm giving you the real-life situation. I hear you. The real-life situation is if it was justified, then you can explain what happened. You say, I was sleeping. I heard a noise. My wife woke me up. I heard. I knew there was somebody out in the other room. I got my gun from the standard. I went out there. I said, who's there? Who's there? And I saw this guy, and he came at me. He said, I'm going to kill you. And I just pulled my gun up, and I shot him. Oh, he said, I'm going to kill you. Well, well that's very clear. Well, okay, I'm just giving you a, a, a now, clear if, example. If he's, uh, Alex, if he's dead, yes. and he didn't say, I'm going to kill you, yes. but he was coming at you, yes. um, would you in that situation say, he said he was going to kill me? Um, I'm not encouraging anybody to lie. I'm, I'm just trying to make it clear that if you have a, a situation in which you your life was threatened, you had a reasonable fear for your life or the life of someone else you can use de you can use deadly force now saying in that situation there's, there's no doubt if that's what happened he said i'm going to kill you and he kept coming at you well you have a reason to believe that now in most states or many states it's even more on your side than that it's just the fact that someone came in your house and intruder right. doesn't belong there um sort of gives you the right to shoot him. You have to check your local laws. But I'm giving you the basic foundational thing. Well, dead men don't give contrary testimony. Well, but wounded men do, and witnesses That's do. That's right. That's right. The guy next door, or the, the cab driver out front, or whatever, uh, he said... No, no problem. I, I, I heard someone say, oh, please don't shoot me. And I heard someone else say, man, you, you have no business here. You're going to get it. I'm going to get even with you. Bang. Now we, got to, now we have something else happening. So what's going to happen? The officers are going to come in, and they're going to say to you, what happened? And they're going to be listening real careful to what you're saying, to what you say. And they may even get more specific and say, now, now tell me, you were standing where? Here? Where were you standing? Show me where you were standing. Right. And where was he standing? Right. And now, then you went from what room to what room? Because they're going to lock you down into a scenario, into a statement. And then they're going to take you and put you down on the couch or something. And they're going to look around and see if there's anything inconsistent with what you said. You said the guy came in the window? Well, they go over the window, it's got a screen on it. It's locked. And things like that. Then now you're in trouble. I went through a concealed course. Let me tell you what my instructor told me. He said, even if a guy comes in the house, your best bet is to back yourself into the uh, into a room somewhere in the house, of as far away from him as you can get. Crouch down, and wait. In other words, uh, uh, let it be the absolute last resort, even if the jerk is in your house. Now, that, that's good advice. Now, I'm not saying, I know people out there, their stomachs are turning, saying, I'm not going to let anybody come to my house and that sort of thing. You can do what you want, but, but what, what you were told is good advice for staying out of trouble. Believe me, I've seen what happens to people, not only in criminal courts, but in civil courts when you're sued. So if you can avoid it, believe me, you are better off. Shooting mm -hmm. someone is not going to make you a hero, not likely. You're probably going to have more trouble from the fallout from that than from not shooting him. Now, I'm not saying you should hesitate in, in protecting your life, but you should not be eager to shoot somebody nowadays. 
from a uh, legal and civil point of view. Yes, and even when you're justified. Don't, don't ever feel eager, and don't ever communicate that you were eager. All right, all right. Uh, hold on, we're at the bottom of the hour. Rest, we'll be right back to you. Alex Jason is my guest. He is a certified senior crime scene analyst. We're talking about guns and shooting. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. Presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 3rd, 1997. Top of the morning, everybody. How'd you like to make more money this year? Sure you would. Everybody would. When you think about the future, do you see the economy getting better or worse? We'll ask Steve Forbes about that later this morning. Now back to Alex Jason. In the Bay Area, a certified senior crime scene analyst. Uh, Alex, if some guy comes in and takes my TV and he's got it in his hands and he's uh, on the way out of my house, what should I do? Well, um, you shouldn't shoot him or shoot at him. Um, all you can do is perhaps follow him. Uh, at a distance to get a license plate number or you call the police as soon as you can or have your wife or someone there do that while you, while you watch him, get a good description. And uh, that's what to do to be safe. Now, if you are a real He-Man and you want to go up and grab the TV back from the guy and knock him on the head with your fist, uh, perhaps you want to do that. I'm not, uh, I'm not advising that. But to use deadly force against him, you are going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to shoot at people as they're running away from you. Unless they're clearly like a guy just uh, stabbed a bunch of people and walked down in front of you and he's running, stabbing, chasing some other people with a knife, that would be different. But if he's running away to disengage, to get away from you or the crime, you're not allowed to shoot at them. And the police aren't allowed to either. Are the, yeah, that's where I was going. Are, are the rules any different regarding use of deadly force for the police uh, or for me? No, they're not really any different. They're really the same. The police are just better trained and better equipped. The police can go after somebody and uh, grab them, and if they hit the police officer with their fist, they can take out their club, and then if the guy gets uh, continues on, they can take out their tear gas, and then uh, at some point he can take out his gun. You don't have those options. You are you either probably have a gun or your hands, and that's about it. And you know, and you're not really clear when when you can use either one. Exactly. So I'm telling you, the advice I'm giving you is not necessarily 
what a real man might do by your definition or someone's definition, but it is what will keep you out of trouble. Out of trouble. All right. There are a lot of people uh, wandering about with concealed permits. Suppose you see some guy backing out of a bank. He's just robbed a bank. And by happenstance, you're there. Uh, what, what are your options? Can you try and stop this man? Can you use any sort of force? Um, let's, let's, let's clearly define that. You, let's say you hear the bank uh, alarm, uh, the That's big right. bell going off, and okay. he's running out with the money bag, and, right. and, and someone's running after him, the people in the bank are coming and say, Stop, thief, thief, rob the bank. Right. And you're there, you're the hero of the day, you got your gun, your permit. What do you do? Well, it's up to you what to do, but you, you're not compelled to do anything. You no, don't have right. to do anything. You're not right. required to do anything. Uh, can you shoot at this guy? No, you cannot. He is not threatening your life or anybody else's life, I assume, from, our, from the way we created this event. And I advise that you don't. Now, let me give you an example of what can happen when you pull a gun on somebody. Here's a case where there was a purse snatching. A good, honest citizen at a gas station saw some, a guy run to a woman, push her, grab, her, grab the purse, and run away. Being a good guy, he had a permit and a gun, and he ran after the purse snatcher. And he ran, and he ran. It was about three or four blocks. And the purse snatcher, as most of these criminals are, is not in good shape. And he gets winded, so the citizen runs up to him, pulls his gun out, and says, drop the purse. Well, the criminal is a pretty wise guy. And he knows that he, he's not, that he can't be shot legally, and apparently he thinks this guy knows it too, which the guy did, the citizen did. So they stand there looking at each other. So the citizen grabs him and tries to grab the gun, tries to grab the purse from him. Now they have a fight going on. Mm. But look at the fight. The citizen has a gun which he can't use. What does it do? It's by carrying a, a, a five-pound weight in your right hand, and now you have to fight with one hand. That's right. And at any time, that guy could take the gun from you, and he probably wouldn't mind shooting you. Right. So it's a big liability. So if you're going to attack this uh, this bank robber or some other criminal like that, what are you going to do when you catch him, when you grab him? Or if he says, hey, go ahead and shoot me, what are you going to do? Shoot me, and he walks over to you. You're going to shoot me? I haven't done anything. These are very difficult situations, and you don't want to get into them. The only time you might take your gun out if you think the guy's coming towards you or threatening someone if he had a gun in his hand. But another thing to consider you don't always know what's happening. You may think you know what's happening, but you may not know who the who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. It happens to the police all the time. And when the police arrive because of the bank holdup alarm, they don't know who you are, buddy, and you're a citizen with a gun. That's true. And they're going to think you're part of it. So it's best just to get a good description and try to remember things, watch them, follow them if, you, if you're adventurous, but don't pull your gun out. And the police in that situation, uh, suppose, now let, let's put the police there instead of the citizen. The guy's backing out of the bank with a money bag, the alarms are going off. What options do the police have? Well, the police would have a, uh, let's say they got just a hold-up alarm with no further information. Right. Hold-up alarm at the, this bank and this address. They drive up there, they see the guy coming out with the, with the money bag. The first thing the police do whenever they arrive anywhere, as I did, you look at the guy's hands. You, is he armed? Sure. That's the key thing. Does he have a weapon? Let's say no. He doesn't have a clear weapon. The police will probably draw their guns and say, please, freeze. 
and point at him. And if he runs? If he runs, they're not going to shoot at him. They're not allowed to shoot at, at a fleeing robber. <laughs> Unless they have reason to believe that he's going now to, to get his gun to shoot to shoot back at them or get more ammunition or something like that. But it, you, it, just because he's running away, you cannot shoot at them. It's frustrating as, as can be. So they've got to run after him. They have to run after him. And that's what they do. <laughs> and then try to grab him, try to hit him with a club. And, uh, you can, and they'll get sued for that, too. And so will you. Uh, that's true. That's true. Um, uh, speaking of being beaten... Uh... Way back to Rodney King. I'm sure you looked at that one. Yes, I did. Uh, how did you see it? Um, I saw it as I didn't see anything wrong with what the police did. And this may be controversial, but uh, what you saw was sausage being made. Um, this police work. If Rodney King had at any time obeyed the police instructions to lay down and spread his arms out, he would not have been hit one time. So he is at fault, not the police. Now, did the police hit him too hard? Well... Maybe, but at any time he could have just said, okay, okay, and put his arms down. But he kept trying to get up, which they they interpreted as a threat to them, which I, so would I. So it just became another big political issue. And I'm I'm amazed at the, 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 the fury that came out about it. He was being chased by police, failure to stop, speeding. He was trying to get away. They finally get him. He does not cooperate with them. Well, yeah. That, that's, that's his problem. And I'll tell you, as a former policeman, now I'm out of the game, the police business, but the, a lot of times people will run away from policemen and not stop, especially in cars. And I'll tell you, the most scary things that I ever did as a policeman was not being shot at, was not going to dark buildings, known as an armed guy inside and so on. Which, Traffic stops. Well, well, before that, riding in a speeding police car, chasing somebody, mm. because that is where you get killed, and that's where you kill innocent people. And you, especially when you're not driving, it's really frightening. I bet it is. As a matter of fact, earlier tonight, I think it ran Sunday night, I saw the scariest police chases. And boy, oh boy, they are scary. Man, your heart is really pounding. And these guys who don't stop endanger more lives and cause more fatalities than any uh, trigger-happy gunman going shooting down Main Street. And what are the odds of somebody getting away? If you've got a fast car and you put the pedal to the metal and all that... Uh, what percentage of the time do they catch uh, fleeing people? Well, I, I don't know the statistics on it, but I'd say uh, most of the time, because you may be, out, may be able to outrun the, the police car, but you cannot run the radio. Right. And with the helicopters and this sort of thing, they're going to track you. But now, because of the, the terrible uh, fatalities that have, that have uh, occurred from the, these type of police chases, the police are required to break off a chase, not to engage in these high-speed chases sometimes, and they have to break away. And so the criminals know this now, and, and even people just go through a stop sign and say, well, I'll, I'll just try to get away. If I so get that's away, causing fine. more people to running these days than ever before? Yes. Sure. Why not? It's like a free chance to get away. Yeah, the helicopter can't be everywhere at once, I guess. Uh, and if you get caught, you say, okay, okay, now I get caught. Well, it used to be an unwritten rule way back in the days that anybody that did that, you beat the hell out of them as a lesson. Because maybe the, the, the fine they get from failure to heat a siren and this sort of thing is not going to really uh, motivate them not to do that again. But... If they get their uh, rear end kicked uh, real hard, they may remember that. And that, that was the old school, uh, way back, and that, that's not the way it is now. But there was a reason for that, because they know that otherwise it encourages people to do that, to just try to get away. What do you feel about the Second Amendment, uh, basically? In other words, there are a lot of guns out there, a lot of people have guns. Should they be able to, a lot of police chiefs say, uh-uh? Well, yeah, police chiefs, I mean, they're mostly 
these bureaucrats. Uh, I believe that every responsible person should be allowed to have a gun and to be able to carry a gun if, if unless there's a reason why you shouldn't be allowed to. And I, I, I do believe that. And I think that would be a, would be a better country. And I made a – this whole subject of use of deadly force and when you can do it and when you can't for citizens is it was so important to me. I made a video on this thing, which was sold all around the country, and it explains this whole situation uh, and goes through different scenarios that this happens or that happens. And we have we interview policemen as far as describing what they do when they arrive at the scene, how they evaluate whether this is justified or not. A district attorney who's tried thousands of cases, um, and we actually interviewed uh, criminals oh. in, in the prison. And I got criminals who were um, who had been involved in, in firearm-related incidents, and, and especially a bunch of burglars. And it was really interesting to hear their interviews. And I said, well, what do you fear most when you when you go into a house? And they would say, well, someone has a gun in there. Sure. And I even asked, uh, I think I asked all of them that are on tape, I said, did you, uh, what do you think, do you think guns should be outlawed for, for the average citizen? I said, oh, well, that would be crazy, man. You know, the criminals would be taken over. I'd like to have one. And there's some cases where guys, one guy describes, a couple of guys described an incident where they're in a house, burglarizing the house, and somebody came home, and they didn't hear them. Uh-huh. And the guy had a gun. And the one guy said, uh, man, I saw that gun, and I just turned, and I jumped right through the plate glass window, hit the grass, and just kept going. <laughs> and I said, well, then were you more careful the next time you burglarized to make sure no one came home? He said, oh, I never did this again. I never burglarized a home again. I just do businesses from there on. <laughs> they are really afraid of armed uh, homeowners. Um, there's some evidence that in states where concealed permits uh, are being issued, uh, crime rates, in fact, have gone down. Do you know much about that? Um, I know I know this, that I know when Florida passed this, this concealed carry permit law, uh, it was about eight, ten years ago now, um, that if we didn't hear anything about it in the, in the subsequent years, um, then it was really working. Right. Because the, the anti-gun establishment were rapidly watching that thing. If they could find the slightest variation in, in the, anything negative, they would be, would be on headlines. And the newspapers would be eager to report it. That's what the, most of the, the TV news media. So the fact that we haven't heard any, any doom and gloom reports in there shows that it has been working, and crime has gone down, and I think it's a good reason. Well, I remember when it was being argued, uh, it was suggested it'll be like the Old West, bodies lying in the streets, gunfights in the streets, that sort of thing. Didn't happen. Didn't happen, and uh, there's a myth anyway. There weren't, weren't that many gunfights in the Old West anyway. When everyone has a gun, people get more polite. And if you think people have a gun, then you don't want to start anything. That's true. All right, let's take another case. Recently, there I, I don't know whose report it was. It was all over the news. There was advice to the American people. When you're uh, on the highway, when you're driving down the street, when you're on the freeway, don't look at the person next to you because looking at them might start something. In other words, don't even glance at them. Now, let's take a case uh, more and more frequent these days, I'm sorry to say, where you're on the road, Somebody next to you, for whatever reason, flips you the finger. You flip back, and uh, it deteriorates from there. Uh, both cars stop. The guy in the other car starts coming at you with a tire iron or a piece of pipe or something or another. You've got a gun. What then? Now, bear in mind, this is an interesting example. When you're on the street in your car or walking down the street and you have a gun, either legally or illegally carrying the gun, there's a whole different set of criteria that are going to be used to judge whether you're, you're, what you have done is justified. And you have to be really careful on the street. In your house, 
the police and, and the whole legal system is generally very sympathetic to you. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, if you're in your home and someone who doesn't belong there comes there, you're, you're in pretty good shape, generally. Okay. But on the street, you're going to have to really show, first of all, why you were carrying a gun. Were you out looking for trouble? That's one of the questions. Were you looking for trouble? Did you think you were a tough guy because you were carrying a gun? So you started something with a guy and let him come up to you with a crowbar and then shot him in self-defense, supposedly? That's going to be a real issue. Well, my answer would be, these are mean streets, and I carry a gun because I went and got a permit. That's one answer, right. one one situation. So let's let's say you got by that hurdle. Then, then they're going to say, well, what happened? And they're going to look for key words, key signals that were in your description of what happened. If you say, essentially, <clears throat> that guy cut me off way back down the freeway, right. and I followed him off here, and he flipped me the bird, and then when we pulled up at the light... He essentially did this or that, which made me so mad that he, this guy deserved to be taught a lesson. And you say something like that, you're, boy, you're going downtown. You're in you're trouble. In trouble. Yeah. If what you did was out of anger or or revenge, that there is no legal justification for anger, using anger as a defense, or revenge. It has to be that I whatever happened on the freeway, and then I, I tried to take the next exit, he came, he followed me off, and it's at the red light, he came out of his car, and I, I couldn't get through because there was a car ahead of me. I rolled my window up. He came over, and he had the crowbar, and he started smashing my window. And then I pulled a gun out, and I warned him, and then I shot him. Now, that would be a much easier case to defend. But on the street, it's a whole different world. Suppose somebody tries to carjack you. You stop at a light. A lot of that going on these days. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, somebody sticks a gun uh, or a knife uh, uh, towards you and uh, tells you to get out of the car. Well, you said some very important words. If the suspect had a gun or a knife, now now something's different here. You are, you are by definition, being threatened but with deadly force. If someone sticks a gun in your face, <clears throat> points a gun at you, you can generally use a gun in self-defense, and there won't be any question about it. <clears throat> if the guy has a gun, mm-hmm. when he's found there with a gun. Now, bear in mind also, sometimes people will pull a gun, and this is one thing that the uh, anti-gun people never never understand. Uh, they try to equate the number of murders or the number of homicides committed with guns and, and divide that by the number of guns and the number of accidents and say you're, you're, you're at risk for even having a gun, more at risk uh, for having an accidental shooting than a, than a well, self-defense shooting. I know. But guns can be used very effectively in our everyday without a shot being fired. You just say, hey, you come any closer, I want to shoot you. Yeah, you never hear about that. No, you don't hear about that. And, and many times it's not even reported. You go on about your way, the guy goes about his way, and that's the end of it. You were, you, listen, you were a cop, and I may have watched too much Hill Street Blues, but I want to ask a question yeah. and try to get an honest answer. How many cops carry throwdowns? Well, we don't uh, drop guns. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, listen, everything's changed. You know, in the old days... The, the, that, that there were things like that. Uh, these days, it's just very uncommon. And with with all the forensic science work that's been done, for example, if you're going to try to shoot somebody outside and drag them back inside, the physical evidence component available to the police is so great that it's very, very difficult to do things like that. And, uh, there was a case just a few years ago where a policeman apparently did drop a gun. He shot somebody. The guy had not been armed. He had a gun, an extra gun with him. Dropped it. He just dropped it there and said, that's the gun the guy had. Well, they looked at it, and they found it had fibers on it. And when they looked at his clothing, the fibers matched his clothing, which matched the rug in his house and that sort of thing. So, I mean, you better be a super-duper master criminal if you're going to try to pull stuff like that nowadays. 
And yet, uh, the greatest public example standing is the O.J. Simpson case, where there were blood drops leading all the way right back up into his <laughs> bedroom and so forth and so on, and still uh, he walked. Well, yes, well, that became you know, a political issue, not, a, mm. not one of the forensic science or the, or the facts. Not normal. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of a, of a case that some you know, listeners might be interested in. Here's a guy who owns a, a, a convenience store. This is a, a wonderful man. I worked on his defense, uh, on his uh, at his trial. Wonderful guy. Uh, worked uh, as a cab driver, saved his money, worked nice in a warehouse, and he and his wife saved the money. They bought a franchise for a convenience store in an inner city area. He's a black guy. Um, he's working in a black district, and, he, and he's a really hardworking, good, good American guy. And he's being robbed very often. Robbed technically means with... Uh, force or fear, generally a stick-up, and being shoplifted all the time. And his store is really having a hard time because of, the, of all this uh, activity. So one day there's a, a young guy in there, and, and he watches him, and the guy shoplifts a bunch of stuff, puts it in his knapsack, and tries to leave. So the store owner goes and grabs him, and they have a, a, a wrestling tussle there, and, and the, the, the shoplifter breaks away and runs outside. Mm -hmm. Well, the shop owner, doing what most people would feel like doing, gets his gun from under the counter, gets in his car, and goes out looking for him. Sure. And he finds him. So he gets out of his car and pulls the gun on him and says, get in my car. And he's going to take him back to the store call the police. All right, I'll tell you what. We're yes. going to have to finish this uh, after the top of the hour. So uh, sit tight. We'll be right back to you. My guest is Alex Jason. Interesting stuff, huh? More of it coming up next hour. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. Listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. Life and death issues. Alexander Jason is my guest. He's a certified senior crime scene analyst, shooting incident reconstructions, forensic animations. He's got a long, long history of uh, work in law enforcement, was a cop in San Francisco. Uh, consulted with CBS on the O.J. Simpson case. He's a member of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, Association of Crime Scene Reconstruction, International Wound Ballistics Association, the International Homicide 
Investigators Association, and on and on and on and on. A very long uh, resume. And we're talking about when you can and when you cannot use a gun or deadly force. We'll get back to them in a moment. Back now to Alex. We will call him Jason by his uh, permission. And, uh, Alex, you were telling us about a friend who had a convenience store. Well, this was a client, really. Um, yeah, he had a convenience store in inner city, and uh, he had a lot, of, a lot of problems with the criminals of shoplifting and robbing the stores. And he, the one shoplifter um, got away with some stuff, and he tried to stop him and ended up, the guy got away, so the store owner went and got a, a thirty-eight. From uh, under the counter, got into his car and went looking for him. And he found the shoplifter a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. He pulled the gun, ordered him to get in the car. The shoplifter did, and the the uh, store owner was trying to take him back to the store where he was going to call the police. Sure. So he's now driving with the right with the, the gun in his right hand. Mm. The criminal seated on, on his right in the passenger seat. The uh, he's driving. Uh, the knapsack where the stolen goods were were in between them, between the seats, and uh, he comes to a intersection where he's trying to look to his left to clear the traffic, and the shoplifter realizes it's a good time to get away, so he pops the door open, grabs his bag, and starts to leave the car. The store owner tries to grab for him with his right hand, in which the gun is, and uh, he grabs part of the bag, and they tussle back and forth. And it's a long story, but one shot's fired. The uh, shoplifter runs away. The store owner says, God, should I shoot my myself, my hand, or my car, or the ceiling, or something? No, he can't find any damage. He knows the guy hasn't been hit because he just ran away like a deer. So he drives back to his store. Well, it turns out the guy ran around, the shoplifter ran around the corner and died. He had been shot. Oh. And uh, so now he's arrested for murder. And kidnapping for forcing someone into his car. Murder and kidnapping. Kidnapping and murder. What what should he have done? He he went out. He found the guy. What should he have done instead of what he did? He should not have taken his gun with him uh, to confront the, the shoplifter because there's no legal justification for using it. It could only get him to trouble. He might want to take the gun with him and go drive around looking for the guy just in case the, this fellow attacked him or something. But to confront him with a gun and force him into the car, he's now guilty of kidnapping. Mm. So he was tried for kidnapping and murder. And he was found uh, guilty of, um, of a manslaughter charge. I forget what, what type, but uh, th- he lost everything. And now he's being sued civilly by the family. Oh, brother. Uh, all right, here's another case, a very interesting case. Shop owner's getting hit again and again and again and again, and he's getting real sick of it as they do. So he, um, he he's constantly got these little thugs coming through a skylight in into his shop. So he erects a little cage uh, below the skylight where the bad guy jumps in. Uh, sure enough... Uh, Bad guy comes through the skylight, jumps down into the cage, and is promptly electrocuted. Trap. Traps. Are they legal? Um, no. If you design a trap that is designed to kill someone or inflict serious injury, 
that in, in many states is a felony in and of itself, the fact that you constructed one, whether or not it's used. You cannot do that. Now, if you, if, if someone climbed in as many, as many criminals do, they'll climb down a chimney or uh, one of these, uh, uh, ducks in a, in a uh, ceiling of a restaurant, for example, where the, the hot air comes out over the grill and they get stuck in there and they die, well, that, that's a different thing. But if you, if you design something intentionally to kill someone, um, it's a very bad idea. Uh, not only because of the liability that you face, but also because, uh, firemen have to get in sometimes or policemen or, uh, other things can happen. So it's a very bad idea, and, and it will get you into big trouble. Now, there's been cases where people have got away with it and so on, and you may get lucky if you do something like that, and someone will be sympathetic, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, all right, here is a fax. I'm getting many of them. You're creating a lot of interest. Um, it's from a lawyer. Art, I'm a lawyer intensively involved in firearms issues and self-defense, and I've got to disagree with your guest regarding talking to the police. Besides, quote, I want to talk to my lawyer, and quote, in the excitement of the moment, with the adrenaline pumping, it is very easy to say something you will no doubt regret later in either civil or criminal court, unless you need to say something to preserve evidence. In other words, the shooting is at a truck stop, and a truck with uh, your or your assailant's bullets is about to drive off. It's better to spend a night arrested in jail than to spend the rest of your life in prison or paying off a civil verdict. You know, what he says is, is very uh, very accurate. He knows what he's talking about. What I was saying is I'm giving you the general advice uh, that if you don't talk, um, you might start something. You may spend a night, in the, a night overnight in jail, but he's right. You may regret it if you're going to say a bunch of things. I would say my advice for what I would do is that I would give the minimum. I would say I was asleep, I, I heard the guy come in, whatever, blah, 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 and I shot him, and that's it, and try to keep it to a minimum. Now, I know how this stuff works, so I would feel comfortable doing that. If you're not, I, you're, he's probably giving you good advice, but <clears throat> sometimes that can hurt you. Um, you have to make your own decisions in this as to what happened and, and what you're going to do about it. But I would listen to the attorney. Uh, he, that, that's good advice. But w what you're suggesting is if you uh, clam your mouth shut, um, demand a lawyer, uh, the police are then naturally going to uh, look at you as a suspect and they're going to begin in their minds building a case against you. Um, th there is that possibility. And that, that's, see, there are, there are sort of mini trials that happen along the way. You know what the trial is, like the, the main trial where you're charged with murder. But there's a little trial when the police get there. They're, they're going to vote on whether you're guilty or not guilty. And then, when the report is sent in to the detectives, they're going to vote on whether this takes further action or not against you. And they're just going to go up to the district attorney's office, perhaps, and they're going to make a little mini-trial. Well, should we prosecute this guy or not? Or what should we prosecute him on? So you would like to avoid it at the bottom level. And I'm saying if, if, if what you did is clear, there is, there's no problem with it, I, I think you should talk. If but, you know what to say. Well, if you know what to say, and, and, you're, and, and the attorney is absolutely right. You can get yourself in big trouble by, and most people aren't trained at this sort of thing. They can't rehearse this thing. They're upset. This is a very traumatic event. And they may say things that, that will be against their interest. So it, it's a very difficult subject because we're talking about individuals. And I can give you advice, Art, if I know you well enough. Sure. That might suit you, but it may not suit 
your brother or my brother or somebody else. So it's, it's a very difficult thing. So when in doubt, you might want to do that. Is there advice that you would give privately, Alex, that would differ from what you're able to say here publicly? I assume there is some. Well, to be frank, there might be. But, but in general, anything that I would not encourage anybody to falsify things because it's so easy or it's so difficult to maintain the lie. Well, you're not trained at doing that, and, and you don't know what the police know or what they're going to look at or what kind of physical evidence is going to be left behind or what kind of witnesses there are. Like, for example, that, that store owner who had that incident where he shot the shoplifter, right. he made no statement. So the police didn't know whether he just grabbed this guy in the street and killed him. They, they didn't know anything about anything. They didn't know he'd been in the store even. Because he didn't make any statement. Now, I don't know if that would have helped him or hurt him at the time, but the police had no other really alternative than to say, well, we have witnesses to say he pulled a gun on this guy, he put him in the car, and then the guy tried to get away, and he, and he shot him. So that's kidnapping and murder. So he had really no, no chance to, to get a lesser charges filed to begin with. Whether or not he should have talked and said something, it's a very difficult, complicated legal strategy, and it could go any of many ways. All right, well, we're, while we're on the subject, here's another one, same thing, really. Uh, this is Pat from Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. As a police officer at the scene of a shooting, I will take down every word you say, quote, and hope I get it all right, end quote, use it against you. In any shooting situation that you're involved in, shut your mouth, wait for your attorney before you say a word. The police department uh, is there for... A prosecution, not for the defense. Quote, just wait for your lawyer, end quote, and then there will be no chance your statement can be used against you. Well, that's probably good advice. And I guess I would amend my initial uh, recommendation to say, if you are comfortable and you really understand the subject, and that's why I made this videotape called Deadly Force, Firearms, Self-Defense, and the Law, to educate people on this. If you're really knowledgeable about it, you're comfortable, and you know what happened, it was a clear case, then you might want to talk. If there's any doubt in your mind, just say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm just so upset, I, I, I just think I better talk to my attorney first. And, and, you know, not this thing, well, I know my rights, and you can't make me talk, and I'm going to just be, be cooperative, I'm just so upset, I, I just think I should talk to my attorney, that's the advice I was given, and I just think I should do it. Something like that is probably the best approach. All right, um, here's my thinking. Now, I may not be representative of... Um uh, the majority of the audience, but some of them at least. I live way out in the country. If somebody were to be coming after me uh, or uh, intent on doing me harm, uh, and I were to call the police, uh, I'm afraid that if I didn't own a gun and I was not able to protect myself, they would be able to get there in time to draw a nice chalk line around my body on the floor. Mm -hmm. That's my attitude, so that's why I own guns. Right. Uh, is that a reasonable attitude? Is it a reasonable conclusion? Uh, I, the police do all they can, but, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes, a half hour to respond, whatever. Uh, they're going to do the best they can, but, as I said, they're going to get there in time to draw the chalk line around my body, and it won't matter to me. Right. Your, your protection, your, your defense of your family and yourself is up to you. The police are not required to defend you. They, you can call them like people did in the L.A. riots and say, there's people out here trying to beat down my door, and they say, well, do the best you can, sorry. And you can't even sue them for that. They've had court cases where they've been held that they're not individually responsible to anyone. Do the best you can. In other words, in a riot or in civil uh, unrest, they're liable to tell you that. They're busy. Do the best you can. See you later. That's what they told people in L.A. who called. They said, look, they're, they're beating down the, the doors. They're trying to get in. 
And they said, well, we can't send anybody out there. We're sorry. Do the best you can. Good luck. Oh, my God. That's what happened many times in, that, in the L.A. riots, which, which was caused by, if you'd like to go off on a little tangent here, uh, in my opinion, by the police inaction, by the police failure to respond to the initial event. They could have quelled that thing and, and had a much less uh, reaction. But pulling out that, that idiotic, insane, pacifistic approach just taught these people that, hey, there's no police out here. Mm. They had nothing to do with Rodney King, I mean, a, a little bit. But if you tell anybody, you go in any city and say, there'll be no police from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and you see what happens no matter what political situation is going on, same thing will happen. Are there areas in our major cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, uh, and you're being heard in all of these and many more, um, where the police, for all practical purposes, will not go? No, not really. Uh, the, the police, uh, most police are, are very uh, dedicated, uh, conscientious people. And you hear about that, oh, the police won't even go in there. Oh, they will. But sometimes they won't go in without a backup. Uh, a guy by himself won't go in, and that's, that's just a being prudent. But I don't think there's any place that the police will definitely not go in. If it's that bad, then they'll get uh, 40 guys together and go in there and, and straighten it out. So it isn't that bad. But that's generally a myth. Mm -hmm. where gangs control turf absolutely in neighborhoods, that sort of thing. Well, most police, if you have an area where the gangs are really heavy like that and they're starting to build up that kind of strength, they'll get together and have a task force and bring in the state police and whatever the, the other authorities, and they'll go in there and really really go after them. I mean, you had a case like that. It was in was Idaho or Montana with those free men. Yes. And they was a, those guys kind of ran on their own for quite, quite a while. There was a one- or two-man department. He, he couldn't handle against them, but they finally put together enough power, and then they went in there and, and did it. Um, all right. Again, this will bear on my situation, not necessarily everybody's, but I'm in the country. I'm fenced, and I'm posted. And uh, the local police department tells us out here, you must post your property with no trespassing signs. Uh, what what sort of um, protection does that afford, or legal precedent does that establish when you post? You need to talk to a lawyer. I, I can just t talk about use of deadly force in terms of uh, uh, what I know, what has happened, how it really works as a policeman and as a... Right, as but a, what I'm asking is if, if somebody... Uh, say, uh, breaches that well-posted fence, saying no trespassing. Yes. Is there any legal... Uh, you're not going to be able to answer that, are you? I, I don't know. That's a technical issue, and I don't know. Okay. But what I want people to know is when they have a gun for self-defense, um, uh, the other issue, aside from when to use it legally, is to keep it... You have a responsibility. If you have a gun in your home, you have a responsibility to keep it safe not only from children, but from criminals. Because that's a great source of weapons for, for criminals is, is the weapons they steal from home. Sure. So if you have a gun, you should have a safe, I mean a good safe. And alternatively, a really good hiding place. And I don't mean under your socks or under the pillow. I mean a really good hiding place. Because you have a responsibility to keep that gun out of the hands of criminals. And if, if it's taken in a, in a burglary, that's who's got it. It's a, it's you, you've now armed a criminal. And that gun's going to be in circulation. So I want to encourage people to be responsible gun owners. Uh, there's some new technology on the market. I wonder how you feel about it. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing about this new electronic something or another that knows what finger is on the trigger, and if it's not the owner of the gun's finger, it won't fire. Um, 
I'd be a little edgy about that, and I'd want to really know that sucker would fire every time it felt my finger. How do you, how do you feel about that? Well, uh, this has been around for quite a while. There's something new, I know, but initially there's one called, I think it's called Magnusape or something like that, where uh, this fellow near here, near, I live near the San Francisco area, and there's a fellow down here who invented this thing, and it works. You wear a special ring, and it, you might think of it as a magnet, and you have a magnet on your ring, uh, excuse me, a ring that's a magnet. And if that magnet is not sensed by the grip of the gun, um, you cannot fire it. And, right. I, and I tried it, and it works. But so he thought, well, I had this invention. He got like the patent of the year from a bunch of associations. He got awards from chiefs of police associations and stuff. But nobody bought the darn thing because when you need a gun, you need it, and you need it. It's got to work. And you have enough problem with guns malfunctioning, even though they're they're great, expensive guns are well maintained for various right. reasons. Right. And to put another unknown factor in there. Is people are just really afraid of doing that. Now, eventually, we'll have some sort of biosensing system where it'll know you by your smell or by some other by an Im embedded chip in your in your hand or whatever. And uh, I suppose it'll work uh, flawlessly. But until you get something that's really reliable, you're gonna have a hard time selling that. But I think it's a good idea hmm. if it would work. All right, uh, Mr. Bell, I am a police officer, very much interested in shooting recreation in ballistics. Could you ask uh, Alex? What courses or materials for research he would recommend for me to study? Uh, also, is your guest familiar with Dr. Martin Fackler's studies? Yeah, Martin Fackler, Dr. Fackler, and I founded, uh, we're co-founders of the International Wound Ballistics Association. I ah. worked with him for several years in the Army uh, Research Lab at Letterman Institute doing wound ballistics uh, research. And uh, he's really the, uh, the modern-day... Uh, He's changed wound ballistics. He brought wound ballistics into the modern age. And uh, what he, if, if any of your listeners are familiar with his works, uh, you should uh, regard him highly because uh, he does know what he's talking about. And, yeah, I'm familiar with him, of course. And uh, if, if the officer was asking about shooting reconstruction, um, I don't know if he was asking about learning about shooting reconstruction in general. Well, no, he wants to know what courses or materials for research he would recommend, and here's an opportunity to give out uh, a phone number for your video tapes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, well, I have uh, there's actually three videos, uh, one called Deadly Weapons, Firearms, and Firepower, one called Deadly Effects, Wound Ballistics, What Bullets Do to Bodies. Right. And the third one is called Deadly Force, Firearms, Self-Defense, and the Law. And uh, each of them, they're twenty nine ninety five, and um, they're over. They're all over an hour. I think uh, average about ninety minutes. And uh, they're available from. Uh, give out a phone number is eight hundred. Seven six two. Seven two three three. Is that a twenty four hour number? Yeah, that's eight hundred seven six two seven two three three. And uh, these are used by police departments around the world. Oh, they are? Oh, yeah. We, the FBI uses them. The CIA bought four of, of each of these things, uh, except for the deadly force one, but the, uh, the technical ones they did. And, uh, all, the, uh, all the police police districts in England have them, Hong Kong. I, I can't even think of them all. All right. Uh, hold tight. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back. Alex Jason is my guest. He is an expert a certified senior crime scene analyst, and he'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997.
Mirror Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 3rd, 1997. Alex Jason is my guest. Top of the morning, everybody. We will go to the uh, line shortly, so if you have a question, and I know a lot of you do, feel free to begin coming now. Back now to Alex Jason in the San Francisco area. Alex, uh, a gazillion people here want to talk to you, and I have more questions, but let's quickly go to the phones and see what we've got. First time caller line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hello? Hello. Hi, I'm a police officer from Wisconsin. My first name is Chris. Yes, Chris. Um, I just, I don't really have a question, I have a comment. And I want to say, I think we should, should illustrate to the listeners that Owning a gun is a responsibility, and that we have to take an effect that police officers are trained on how to use a gun. Yes. And in, in incidents that we do use a gun, um, we're trained in that. And people shouldn't just go out and buy a gun and buy this video and re- say, okay, this guy's breaking my house, um, I should use a gun. Because people don't know how to use guns, and they're going to hurt themselves or their family members. Um, and I just it was just a safety factor. All right, I take it you're not an advocate, then, of the uh, general public owning guns. Um, I am, but I think they should be trained. I, my, my kids, for example, I've taken them out. I've shown them how to use a gun. I've shown them how to respect the gun. Um, and I, it, it, it's a tool that police officers use, but many people don't realize that the, the magnitude of power they're All right. holding. Well, I absolutely agree with you, officer. And, uh, Alex, I did the same thing. When my son was about eight years old nine maybe, I took him out because I've got guns in the house and I let him shoot and uh, at, at some targets, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, water bottles, that kind of thing, plastic water bottles. And he was so impressed with the, um, uh, with what a, what, a, what a gun was that never, ever was he tempted uh, to ever touch one in the home. In other words, he knew uh, from that moment on exactly what a gun really was. Good advice? Well, it sounds like you did the, you, you did the right thing. You, you handled it correctly. I, I agree with the officer. It's a responsibility. I don't encourage everyone to have a firearm. I don't. If you have doubts about whether you can use it, how to use it, whether you're going to be able to safeguard it, you shouldn't have a gun. Don't. Let, let, just, just let someone else do the, have a gun. But don't do it if you're not sure about it. All right, uh, let's move away from the gun for well, a second. Well, just one other thing, if I may. Yeah. Uh, when people talk about training, they always say, oh, you need training. You know, you can hurt yourself. Well, yeah, training in how to handle the gun, how to shoot it, and how to safeguard it is important. But the thing that's never mentioned is when you can use it and when you cannot use it. That's mm-hmm. just a, a strangely a taboo subject, but that's that's what I'm really interested in. I mean, but I think the other side is, is important, as the officer said. No, I think it's a very good point. Um, Art, please ask your guest about using a baseball bat on an intruder in your home. Also, I once heard an expert on self-defense recommend using an oven cleaner spray as an, <laughs> on an intruder's face. <laughs> um, in other words, I, I guess a baseball bat uh, can be, if it kills, a deadly weapon, as can a gun. But is there a distinction? Well, the distinction in terms of legal use um you really shouldn't count on things like that if you're serious about defending yourself. If, if someone breaks in, that's all is handy, fine. But you have to understand, uh, I could face someone with a baseball bat, but all you do is rush the person. You, you have to get 
to use a baseball bat, you have to get within three feet. Your arms length on the tip of the bat. So you're placing yourself at quite a danger. And in, in a house, you can't swing it very well. You may get one swing, which may hit the guy's shoulder, and then he's on top of you, and he's got the baseball bat. So I don't think that's a really great uh, effective tool. You'd rather have the gun? I, I would rather have a gun. I'd rather have my... My grandmother, who can't swing a, a baseball bat, for her to have a gun, it, it is a great equalizer. She can just sit there, and she has the power to pull the trigger. She can order the guy out. All right, here, here's a very interesting use of gun question. Please ask your guest. I see a crime in progress. Am I justified in using a three fifty seven Smith & Wesson to stop the car by shooting the engine to limit their means of flight? You are not. Don't ever do that. Really? Don't even think about it. Really? You're using deadly force, and all that's going to be considered is you shot the guy and you missed. Well, what if, what if you do hit his engine? Stop. Well, what if you do and it stops? Okay, fine. But now you may be a hero. I mean, not the way things may turn out. But what if the, what if you miss that? What if it ricochets off the hood and hits something that's a bystander? You're, you're, you're getting into a real big territory here. Real, you're, you're, you're exposing yourself to great personal liability. For what? To prevent a criminal from getting away? If he's a threat, if he's a maniac guy with a machine gun mowing down people, well, okay. But I don't recommend that. And besides, um, a 357 Magnum is not going to penetrate an engine block, in spite of what you hear and see. And that's one of the things I did in my deadly weapons tape. Oh, really? Is I, I take an engine block, and I say, here's an engine, here's a 37 Magnum with armor-piercing bullets, and I fire at the engine block. And then I show a little mark on the side of the cast iron and wipe it away, and it's just, a, it's just absolute nonsense. There's so much misinformation about guns and ballistics and wound ballistics. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons I made this deadly weapons tape to show how what guns will penetrate, how a bullet will penetrate uh, glass or, or car doors or tires and gas tanks. That does a, one of the things we did is we took a gas tank half filled with fuel and shot it with all kinds of weapons. Does it explode into flames? No. That's a Hollywood thing. Why were black talon bullets uh, pulled off the market? For political reasons. <laughs> what, is a, what is a black talon? Um, the black talon is a, hollow, is a particularly um, good design of a hollow point bullet, that's all. And it just, it's a method that they uh, found that would retain the jacket and the bullet cord together. Very often a hollow point will come apart when it hits a target, a person, or, or something else. And then because it now has less mass, because it's broken up or separated the jacket and the cord, it won't penetrate as far, reducing the effectiveness. So it's just a way of manufacturing the bullet. But because it became a, press picked it up as a killer dealer bullet, uh, they had to but the truth is, it's still out there. It's that they just changed the name. Yeah, but I, I just don't understand the psychology here. In other words, if you have a gun and you have bullets in it and you have to use it to defend yourself with deadly force, then you want it to be as deadly as possible. And uh, I don't see how you get kinder, general, more gentle bullets. Uh, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Isn't that silly? I say, well, these bullets are, are, are very damaging. They're, they're very hurtful. Well, well, yes, that's what they're supposed to do. Yes, that's kind of a general idea. Uh, we had Clinton would say something like, well, we shouldn't have bullets like this around. Well, okay, what, what kind of bullets do you like? Have blanks? Well, what, what's, what's the alternative? Well, it's just silliness that the press jumps on and the average, the, the public that don't understand these issues will read the headlines and, and agree with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very silly, as you pointed out. Yes, all right, good. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi, from Columbia, South Carolina, with a wild card question. All right. Uh, Mr. Bell, you live out in the sticks. You're about, what, a half an hour response time from a deputy sheriff? 
Well, I guess it would depend on where the patrol car is, but that's a good guess if they had to come all the way up. And, and your home is posted no trespassing. Absolutely. I'm, I'm there. I'm knocking on your door. You refuse to answer the door. You don't want to open the door to me. You tell me to go away, and I refuse. And then you pull your gun on me. And I want to know what Mr. Jason thinks my uh, rights are to self-defense if you're pulling your gun on me. All right. That's a, that's a good question. There he is at my door. Well, he's, he's, out, he's, he's outside the house. Yep. Yes, outside the house, not attempting to enter, and there is a second part to this question, and I just want you to uh, bring this point up because I do carry a gun. I carry a three fifty seven Magnum revolver with black talon, and I go to people's houses uninvited, unasked, and unwelcome for a living. Uh, are you a burglar? Are, are, are you a burglar or a salesman? Uh, oh, no, I'm a process server. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, you, you probably know the law pretty well. If someone inside, now you're you're an odd category because you have this special authority, which I never quite understand. I mean, I'm I'm all for it, but it's just. It's I don't understand you. What what authority does he have? I'm an agent of the court. That's I'm right. I'm a law enforcement very... officer. I cannot arrest you, but I am there serving a subpoena, a rule to show cause, a summons, or some other document of the court. Okay. And it is not trespassing, and I All have right, to I, I've got you. So there you are at my door. I'm, I, I pull a gun on you. Now, this, this is a situation where it gets very, this is very technical because he's a process server. If he's just a guy, uh, a salesman, or let's, say, let, let's take away your status as a process server because that, that's a different situation. I really can't comment on it. It's a very, very unusual one, very specific. But if you're, let's say you're a salesman, and uh, let's say a salesman comes to my house, and, and, I, and I say, go away, I don't, I don't want your thing. And he keeps talking, so I bring out my gun, and I point at him through the screen door, let's say. I, yeah. I say, get out of here. Yeah. Um, I think I would be in trouble. Now, this, you better check local laws. But I, I wanted to mention something to, to your listeners before we, uh, I'll come back to it, but how they can find out about this, this right. these kind of laws and things. But that's, that's a bad idea. You don't bring a gun out unless your life is threatened or someone's life is okay, threatened. Okay, but his question was, what are his rights to self-defense once I have pointed a gun at him? Okay, now the question is going to be, as he's a salesman or whatever, what were you doing there while I was trying to sell something? And the guy told you to go away, and he didn't go away, and he pulled his gun out. Um, now, if you legitimately felt, and you can prove, and you're, you're prepared to demonstrate that you had a reasonable fear that your life was in danger, then you may be able to claim that self-defense where you shot this guy before he shot you. But if he's just pointing a gun and saying, hey, if you don't get out of here, I'll shoot you, um, I don't think you can shoot him. Because you're not being threatened. Your, your life is in right, so imminent not, danger. It comes down to the same thing. If your life is in imminent danger... That's right. Okay. Uh, That's second right. part of your question, caller. Well, then the second part had to do with... Just please tell your guests that just because I am an unwelcome visitor, you don't have the right to shoot me. If you present a gun, I will run. But instead of just getting a subpoena to appear as a witness in court, which you don't want... You're going to wind up having me come back with the deputy sheriff, and you're going to wind up going to jail for threatening me. Oh, I, I agree with you. Anybody, a salesman or a process server, you don't pull a gun on them unless your life is threatened. And yeah. a process server, I would just, I guess you're going to have to let him in, because he has more powers than the police in, in some aspects. No, I'm not going to come in. I'm just going to, I'm just not going to leave until you... Okay, well, I wouldn't, I would counsel people not to point a gun, to call the police. If you're in doubt about who this guy is, you want him off there, call the police. You, I'm, I'm curious, caller, do you like your job? I like, yes, because uh, those deadbeat dads out there, Yeah. that's quite satisfying, catching up with somebody that hasn't paid child support for three years and finally 
handing them the court order where they're going to have to do oh, it. I'm, I was confusing you with a bounty hunter. No, oh, you're, no, no. You're, I'm a, you're process a process server. server. Right. Okay, a process server. No, good grief. People get real mad at them when they come and they trick you into <laughs> receiving a subpoena. But, no, do not point a gun at them to scare them or, or anything else. No, I never grief. have. If good they grief. point one at me, I will run. All right, all right, good enough. Uh, I appreciate that. Now, now uh, I want to ask you, uh, and you stumbled or we stumbled into this one, what are the laws regarding bounty hunting? I don't know. I mean, I know that they have the right to, they can break down your door and all sorts of things, but I, really? I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't really know. Uh, where does the uh, the legal support for such a thing come well, from? My understanding, you might talk to someone who's more qualified than I, but my understanding is that you sign it away. When you get a bail bond from that agency, uh -huh. you sign an agreement saying, I'm letting these people come into my home anytime, day or night, unannounced. They can search through my stuff if I don't show up. So you've already agreed to this, and then they're serving a, uh, a warrant from the court, the arrest warrant, the failure to appear. So they have a lot of powers, but it's a very unique situation. That's what I was describing the, the process here, but misidentified. Mis I see. That's very interesting. Uh, so as a police officer, um, have you ever run into a bounty hunter doing his job? Uh, I think, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a real uh, uh, unusual character like you see these guys look like bikers. It was just some guy in a suit or you know, casually dressed, uh, sport coat and tie, and uh, looked like a cop, actually, and he just wanted some backup. But they have, they're, they're serving uh, warrants which are issued by the court, and the policeman has to essentially assist them, really, when they have a, a valid warrant for arrest. Fascinating. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Yes, sir. I'm a guard from Kentucky. Yes, sir. And no one's touching bases on equal force here. You know, the use of, first, before you can use deadly force, you better think of equal force. Well, not really. In terms of, if your life is in danger, um, it doesn't have to be, if a guy has a knife, yeah, and that's, he's, that's threatening, what I he's threatening you with a knife, says, I want to kill you, and he's advancing towards you, you can take out a 12-gauge shotgun, that's not equal, but you can you can use that, if that's the, the situation. And if you have a protection-trained German Shepherd, I know not everybody does, but you know, would you rather, you could use that instead of taking somebody's life? Oh, well, yes, if you had another alternative method, that's what I mean, the, the central point of what I'm trying to convey to all your listeners is that, you can only use deadly force if there's no other alternative. That's the way to keep safe. If you can say, look, I tried to get away, I tried to, to move over here, I tried to block him from coming in, whatever, and this is my last resort. If you can convey that effect, that, that I didn't want to shoot him, and uh, my dog wouldn't, wouldn't uh, attack him when I told him to or whatever, you try everything else, then you're going to be generally in very safe ground. Well, yeah, you get down to the point where... Um... You know, that, that fellow was, uh, seemed to be saying, uh, if somebody's coming at you with a knife, uh, use a knife. You can't use a gun. That's silly. Uh, in a knife fight, I'd much rather have a gun. And oh, I, sure. and, you know, I think that's reasonable. I, I mean, the, the old yeah, thing about. No one requires you to go arm yourself with a knife to be equal first, and then, then defeat him there, and then, you know, then he picks up something else, and you have to match him with that. that that's. Yeah, that's hor horrible as a potential court case or civil case may be, uh, it sure beats being under the ground. Yes. So you make your own decisions, but you have to. I want everyone to realize the consequences of what they do. That the, there are terrible penalties, and I'm talking about criminal and civil. I mean, you, you get to go to civil court and being sued is a, is a horrible thing. Even if you're totally right, it's going to cost you a bundle. It's a terrible situation, but that's the way it is. All right, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi. Um, this is Renee from Spokane, Washington. Hello, Renee. Hi, Renee. Hi, um, I am. I have a concealed weapons permit, and I carry a Glock 9mm. 
Um, if I'm driving through town at night and I come up to a red light and someone gets in my car and threatens rape, what what kind of rights do I have there as far huh. as protecting myself with my gun? Good question. Good question. Now, generally, as I mentioned, the police, let's say you shoot this fellow. The police in a situation like this are, are generally very sympathetic to you. They, they see that you're, you're out of citizen, you're coming home from work, and this is a, a guy who had no business getting in your car. You don't know him. And now let's say you shot and killed him. So it's your story versus the physical evidence. If the physical evidence is consistent with what you said, then there's no witnesses um, or witnesses who, who, who agree with what you say, then that's pretty much it. You, you can generally use deadly force to protect yourself in that situation uh, where you're in a car alone and a guy gets in, um, and then depending on what he says, uh, generally. But, well, I'd say generally you're, you can use a gun. But you might first, if, if this was possible, that you had the gun out and you said, get out of the car, and then he didn't and he moved towards you, then you shot him. Mm -hmm. That would be generally justifiable. I mean, I can't talk about the laws in your state and so on, what will happen in your particular aspect, but if a woman driving alone and someone gets into the car and threatens rape, um, you can generally use self, uh, a gun in self-defense. Yeah, and uh, another thing I would be worried about there is if I didn't pull the gun and he found it later, yes. you know, if I let him... Move me from mm -hmm. one area to another. Well, that's that's yes. You should not let him do that. And I would counsel people. Uh, I tell my uh, my child, if you're walking down the street and someone pulls up in a car and pulls a gun on you and says, "Get in the car," don't get in the car. Run. Oh yeah. He probably will not shoot you because he doesn't want to attract attention and you're gone now. He might, but if you get in the car, you can figure your chances of dying are very high. Right. So just run, scream, and like buddy brother, and run and zigzag as you're running away, and that probably will 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 be much better than get, than getting in the car. So you're right about that. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks right. a lot. Thank you very much. And it brings up another question, and that is, uh, the way the law will look at an incident of that sort in a car with a woman versus a man, a difference? Yeah, there's a difference. There always is. I mean, if you're a little uh, 85-pound uh, old woman in a wheelchair and uh, some big six-foot-two guy to make things uh, extreme, um, she can get away a lot more than you can. They're going to say to you, well, why didn't you run away or why didn't you punch him or whatever you could have done? But someone who's clearly uh, at a disadvantage, they'll be much more sympathetic to. Uh, even in the situation at home, for example, somebody's breaking into the home. A woman is home alone. They're going to look at her shooting uh, somebody in a different way than they are a, a man, aren't they? Yes, not, not legally, but not in terms of the, the statutes, but in terms of human nature, yes, they are. But remember, at home, a man and a woman, anybody, if you're in your home, you are a sacred person. Uh, and the, the, generally the law respects that. So if you're home, minding your own business, someone's breaking in, um, you're in a very good grounds for using self uh, Deadly force. If you, you can say I, that you, if you can show that your life was threatened, or you felt that your life was threatened, or a person in your situation would have a reasonable fear like that. And, and once again, on on your videotapes, you interview criminals who break into homes, and they say their their greatest fear is somebody inside having a gun. That's right. That's, they, they describe what happens when how they felt and what happens when they encounter people like that, and they they don't forget that. Even one guy said, uh, went to his house and they had a little 
sticker on the door said, uh, this house protected by Smith & Wesson. He said, so I thought first, uh, hey, there might be guns in there, but I thought, nah, I better not, because if there's a guy in there, he'll probably shoot me. So he went on to the house next door. So what do you tell people about stickers like that? I've seen those. This house protected by Smith & Wesson. Good idea? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't put them on my door. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'd rather sort of keep a lower profile, have a good good steel door with a, with a good lock on it and a good uh, door frame um, instead of uh, putting stuff up like that. But I've also suggested to other people who don't like guns and don't think anybody else should have guns to put a sign on their door. Said there are no guns in this house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might as well also paint a big target there. Um, jewels inside with a big arrow flashing or something. All right, Jason, hold on. We're at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. Uh, Alex Jason, actually, my guest, will be right back. to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. And I know some of you are joining us at this hour. Good morning. You've missed two very, very good hours. My guest is Alex Jason. Alexander Jason, actually. A very, very long uh, resume, a complete resume. He is a professional uh, in every sense of the word, a certified senior crime scene analyst, a qualified expert witness in crime scene reconstruction, shooting incident reconstruction, wound ballistics, and forensic animation in federal and state courts, California, Washington, Colorado, West Virginia, Alaska, and Maryland. His professional memberships include the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, the Association of Crime Scene Reconstruction, International Wound Ballistics Association, the International Homicide Investigators Association. He was a San Francisco investigator, policeman. The International Association of Bloodstain Pattern Analysts, International Association for Identification, Association of Firearm and Tool Mark Examiners, a technical advisor, and the American Society of Law Enforcement Trainers. And I could go on reading for pages. And we've been talking about generally when you can and when you cannot use deadly force. I think you'll find it absolutely fascinating. Stay right where you are. He'll be right back. All right, before anybody else asks it, since the focus of um, Alex's work, professional work, is crime scene analysis and shooting incident reconstruction, 
His area of specialty is the science of wound ballistics, which relates to the use of firearms against humans and specifically to the interaction of projectiles in the human body. The following question I will ask before one of you asks it. And uh, it is uh, inevitable, Alex, uh, the assassination of uh, uh, President Kennedy. Um, this has got to be right smack dab in the middle of your area of expertise. Uh, though you may not have worked on the case, maybe you did, uh, what is your opinion? Well, I did work on a case uh, in recent years with uh, the NOVA program and for the uh, American Bar Association. We actually shot cadavers. Oh, you know, I saw that Nova show, by the way. Uh-huh. And uh, the, um, I, I really sort of hesitate getting into this because I find it's more like a religion now than I know. a question of what happened. I know, but we've got to ask. Yeah, well, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, Oswald did it, and there's nothing in the evidence that's inconsistent with the 6.5-millimeter Carcano, Veronica Carcano bullet, which is a very unusual bullet in itself. And uh, there's so much nonsense written. So a lot of people say, well, that couldn't have happened because this happened, because I read this and I read that. Well, what you read is probably not true. And there's just so many things that aren't true in that. Uh, that it, it was it, it was fired, uh, it was Oswald from the school book depository, and that's it. All right. Uh, good answer. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Yes, hello, Mr. Jason, and hello, Mr. Bell. Hi, where are you, sir? Uh, my name is Ethan, and I live in Van Nuys, California. All right. Um, my, my question isn't exciting as yours, Mr. Bell, but I just have a question for Mr. Jason. Um, this, this is just a curious question. Is there any laws regarding blowing out an attacker's kneecap? Well, okay, what you're saying is, um, can I shoot to wound? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And well, that, is that, there's really, there's no legal difference in shooting to wound or shooting to kill. Using deadly force is using deadly force. Whether you shot him in the kneecap or you shot him in the head or you shot him in the hand, uh, it makes a difference legally as far as whether you're allowed to use the gun. So it's not a situation to say, well, I, I know I wasn't allowed to use deadly force because my life wasn't threatened, so I just shot him in the knee. That that won't work. Okay, so, so but you, if, if you are threatened, you can't shoot them in the kneecap. Um, and I, I, I know in some cases if you shoot them in the kneecap, they'll lose their leg from the knee down. Well, here, here's the problem with what you're saying. There's, there's a lot of talk like that at the gun range, and people are always coming up with strategies like that. But the problem is, first of all, if you do that, and you, the police arrive, you say, well, you know, I, I, I shot him in the kneecap because I knew I would stop him and I wouldn't kill him. Or if you have that presence of mind to think about what you're doing mm -hmm. and to carefully aim and hit a narrow little thing like a kneecap, then they're going to question your, whether or not you really need to shoot this guy. Was this such an extreme, sudden event that with, with your life in imminent danger? And you said, I think I'll shoot him in the kneecap. It's not going to look good. Yeah, all right. Here, and the kneecap is very easy to miss. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, here, let me ask you this, and hopefully you'll give a good, honest answer, and that is if you're in a situation where you've got to use deadly force, got to use a gun, um, are you better off killing them? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I know that's a really hard question, uh, but frankly, aren't you more likely to end up um, in court paying out to this person for the rest of their life if you just wound them? Is is there anything to that? Um, well, first of all, uh, let me answer your question backwards. For just... Assuming it's a good shoot. Yes. Um, 
whether or not the person is killed or not, if you kill them, you're probably going to have more suits because then all the relatives will get involved. So, oh boy, this is our chance to make some big money here. Mm. So, just in, just from what I've seen, that that's the way it goes. But uh, remember this: you are not you're not trying to kill anybody. You are trying to prevent a crime from occurring. You're trying to protect your life. That's what you're doing. You're not trying to kill people. You're trying to protect a life, your own or someone else's. Well, yes, but I, the presumption of that question is that is what you're doing. Now, it goes back to what this caller said about the kneecap shot. In other words, if you're a good enough shot that you could uh, disable him by uh, taking out his knee, um, should you do that or should you shoot to kill? Well, really, um, you really shouldn't define it that way because in a, in a real emergency event where you're going to use deadly force, you're lucky to hit the guy at all. And you should aim for the center of mass, not because that's the most deadly spot. It's just that gives you the best hit probability. Because you're going to be very nervous. Things are moving quickly. He's maybe right. moving. You're moving. You just want to get some shots in there to stop him from attacking you or stop him from doing what he's doing. To prevent him from shooting you or stabbing you or whatever he's trying to do. And that is you just you just shoot. You don't you don't think about I'm going to wound him. I'm going to kill him. And if you do, if you're if you have that presence of mind, don't say that. When the police get there, you say I shot him. You know, <laughs> I don't know where I hit him in the knee. Whatever. You don't say. You know, I I, I thought I just hit him in the knee because I knew I know that I can kill him. So I thought I, that that sounds like you're you're some kind of nut. You, this is kind of weird. Where you're picking your shots and stuff. Just the guy threatened my life and I shot him. The great, what about the great, remember the great case, uh, um, I can't remember the guy's name just offhand right now, it'll come back to me, uh, the subway in New York. Yeah, Bernie Getz. Thank you, the Getz case. Um, how did you look at that one? I mean, he was, he claims he was threatened with whatever it was, a screwdriver or something or another, a knife, whatever. Yes. Now, here's a guy who really got himself into trouble by talking. Instead of just saying, they threatened me, they came around me, they were surrounding me, they pulled the screwdriver, and I, and I knew they were going to stab me. And I shot them. He said, he told the whole story. He was a man, he was fed up. He'd been beaten up before, he'd been threatened. He was fed up and he told the police on, on videotape. And I saw some of this work. And I, I hated these guys. And after I shot the one guy, I said, oh, you need another one, buddy. And how about you? You don't look hurt that bad. Yeah. That's what really hurt him. Sunk his case. So that's the kind of thing you want to avoid. And if you shoot somebody in a situation where you, you had to, you don't discuss the stuff about the. You know, there was a guy uh, last week at a bar, and he said he'd get me, and and I said I if he were doing it to me, I'd get him. I knew where he lived, and this is I thought it was him. And you make up, you get all these involved stories, and they start thinking, oh, this is some kind of a feud going on. Mm. And if the guy laying on your kitchen floor is a criminal, who's known to be a criminal or just not known to anybody, that's one thing. If he's your brother-in-law or he's a next-door neighbor. Or he's your your wife's ex boyfriend. Mm. There's a whole different story here going on. A whole different criteria going to be used. So what you them. what you say when the police arrive really is of prime importance. Just keep it to the minimum. Don't don't tell them what kind of ammunition you have. Oh, I only use black talons because I know they're the best. Or I only use this, and I have my <laughs> super duper night sights here. And I had I, yeah. I saw him when he was coming in the window. I waited just till I got a good shot. At, you you just say I. I you tell the truth, which is, you, if you're going to shoot somebody, it's because your life was threatened. All right. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Don in Campbell, California. Yes, sir. And um, I was interested to hear him talk about the Black Talon, which is a particularly nasty bullet that, as it opens up, it produces several very sharp points. Mm-hmm. It basically goes through the person cutting, uh, or animal or whatever it is, cutting things up. 
And I think the worst part of the bullet was its name. If you use that in a, in a self-defense situation, you're going to have very serious civil liability problems. Yeah, if they'd, if they'd called it a pink talon, it probably would have been fine. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, you know, on the subject of bullets, like like choice of ammunition, I'm wondering if the if the guest has a recommendation, for example, like the the Corbin hollow points or something else as, as he would choose. It's true. We really have not talked about... Uh... Uh, gun specifically. Um, Alex, do you have any suggestions for the average homeowner? Yeah, uh, well, well, I can just say this. Look, all the stuff about bullets and this bullet and that bullet, and you get into all this minutiae and you read gun magazines, um, you're, you're really going down the wrong path. Uh, the difference between bullets, uh, a, a basic bullet design is very little, and whether black talent is going to do more than a silver tip or so on, there's it, a very little difference. <clears throat> what you want is a bullet that penetrates deeply. And that is a bullet that um, has a lot of mass to it and will stay together. And the black talent is a good bullet. I mean, I don't, I'm not selling any things or promoting any of it. Right. But uh, don't get caught up in this stuff. You know, your brain doesn't know the difference between a black talent and a, and a gray talent. Or a, <laughs> That's you know, true. If, if a, bullet, a bullet that severs your spinal cord is going to be a bullet that severs your spinal cord, you're going to fall down. And that's it. It doesn't matter what kind of bullet it is or anything mm-hmm. else. So it's not that important. I mean, should you pick the best thing available? Yes. But it's not like... This bullet won't hurt someone, and this one will. There's a very little difference once you have a, a basic functioning bullet. But well, I think there's two things you consider, right? Mass and velocity. Okay, velocity is not important in wounding and with handgun bullets. It is is the, one of the greatest myths that velocity has anything to do with it. You want low velocity, not high velocity. High velocity causes bullets to come apart. And if you get a high enough velocity, I mean, there have been tests with bullets like, like 8,000 feet per second. These are in special laboratory situations. And what happens when a bullet hits... Uh, tissue is it just breaks up and blows up essentially. So it makes a very nasty surface wound, but it won't do anything to the vital organs which are deep inside. Mm. <clears throat> so the more velocity you get, the more distortion of the bullet you're going to get, flattening out and breakup of the bullet, and it won't penetrate as far because you get too much ma- you get too much uh, frontal area and then it increases the drag. So you want a bullet actually a 38 is better than a 357. A lot of people out there, I know, they're, they're right now jumping out of their chairs thinking I'm crazy. You want a nice low velocity, like a 3858 grain lead hollow point. Something that'll go thump. Something that goes in, into the body. It goes through an arm and into the body for mm-hmm. self-defense purposes. Not something that's going to break up like these real fast bullets. You don't want fast bullets. You don't want the fastest bullet. They're counterproductive. But what about the difference between a handgun, say a 38, and a 12-gauge shotgun? Oh, well, it's... There's a whole different story there. All right, but we're talking about home protection here, so... Well, home protection, um, I mean, you can use either one. Just the shotgun's more difficult to walk around with. It could be grabbed and you go in a corner. That's true. But that's an individual choice, but the 12-gauge shotgun is a very uh, devastating weapon. Yes, it is. Um, I'm surprised the gun grabbers haven't gone after the shotgun yet. They've gone after uh, semi-automatics, depicting them in the media, of course, as automatic weapons. God, that makes me mad to see that. Um, but the shotgun is really so effective, I'm surprised they haven't figured out a way to go after them. Or well, they will. Oh, you think they will? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. All right, here's a question from a listener, Fax, another Jason, and he asks, if I'm in a situation in which I'm being pinned down by my assailant and I'm in possession of a firearm, would it be legal for me to shoot him, and if so, where? Well, it doesn't matter where you shoot him. I mean, if you're allowed to use deadly force, you're allowed to use deadly force. All right, he's pinned down. Now, the question is, where, where are you, though? In your bedroom? Yes. Uh, now, there's a scene that we have in, in this uh, deadly force tape 
where a woman's in her bedroom and a guy comes in, sneaks in the house. And then she hears him and she gets her gun and the guy comes back in the bedroom. There she is trying to call the police, but he, right. he walks over to her. Now he says to her, she points to the guy and says, get out. What are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong house. And she says, well, get out. He says, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, don't get carried away. She says, get out, get out. She's pointing the gun. And he says, look, you can't shoot me. I haven't done anything. What are you going to shoot me for? I'm not threatening you. And we have a whole discussion of this kind of a case. Well, if he advances, continues to advance, then she can make the assumption that he is now in the commission of a robbery, that he intends to take the gun away from her. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait till the person comes and takes the gun from you and aims it at you for your life to be in, to be threatened. So a situation like that where you're at home, if you're pinned down, <clears throat> yes, you, you can certainly shoot somebody or even, even before that. But this is in your house. Now, I'm not talking about a street, a bar fight or something. Different situation out in the street. You can only show if your life is in danger. I have another scenario in the deadly force tape where um, a guy's in the alley walking along. We have various scenarios with these two slime balls who harass him and induce, do different things. And there's one case in there where his life is threatened and other ones where it isn't. But I'll mention one thing. There's one, one scenario we have where the guy's hassled by these slime balls and he pulls the guy and says, get back. And they say, hey man, don't shoot, don't shoot. Okay man, okay. And they back up. So he gets back in his car and he leaves. Mm-hmm. But what do the slime balls do? They say, hey man, that man has no right to be pointing a gun. That's what he's doing, carrying a gun. Let's call the police. And they get his license number and they call the police. And this happens. And then what will happen is he is going to get, there's going to be a big felony car stop on this poor citizen who just tried to keep the, the slime balls away from him. So in a situation like that, what you do, you if you had to pull your gun, which I don't recommend unless you really needed to, then you go and you call the police first. Don't let them call the police on you. Uh-huh. It make a whole a big difference if you call, because otherwise they're going to be making a felony car stop at you on the freeway. Pretty sad. I, I mean, in a way, then, the criminals, because they have been through the justice system, uh, might know how to better manipulate it in their favor than you would as a just honest citizen who's never encountered anything before. That's right. God, that's sick. Um, uh, in fact, it leads to this question. Uh, in most cases and states, if your car, uh, if you're in your car, it, it's treated just as if you're in your house. But it, it, is that true or not? Uh, I don't know what most states do. I just give the general guideline that if your life is in danger. But let me point out something that, that's really interesting. If you want, if anybody out there is really interested in learning the specifics, which you can only learn in your state, the way to do that, I spell out in the Debbie Force tape, but is to get the jury instructions. The criminal jury instructions are available in any law library. There's a set of them. And let me just uh, read. I have some here from California. Well, we're hitting the bottom of the hour, oh, but, but what you're saying is uh, that learn what judges tell juries in cases. Specifically about different scenarios to show you this is what the jury's going to be ruling on this the ideas in this in this uh, jury uh, in this uh, uh, verdict. All right, get get that out, and and after the bottom of the hour, we will give you an example. So stand by that, uh, for that, everybody. My guest is Alex Jason, and he'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February third, nineteen ninety seven.
Somewhere in Time, tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. Tell you something, folks. Great radio ain't made. It just happened. All right, back now to my guest, Alex Jason. And Alex, uh, a lot of Canadians are listening right now. We're heard all over Canada, and they have a very, very different attitude about guns in Canada. And um, a lot of Canadians uh, look down at the U.S., and we, they think of us as the wild, wild west, and they think we're out of our minds. Uh, people there don't have a lot of guns, um, and they think we should not have guns. And frankly, around the world... It's closing in uh, gun uh, confiscation uh, in Australia. Uh, a lot of countries are moving away from uh, ownership of guns. Is it going to be a battle that eventually is going to be lost for the gun owner, citizen? Oh, gosh, uh, Art, that's uh, a big question. I, yep. I don't know. I'm, I'm just like you. I'm sort of an observer hoping for the best and believing that we should have the right to defend ourselves and uh, to have weapons that responsible citizens should be. So I don't know. I just I hope we can continue. Well, I guess I was asking for just sort of a more of a prediction or an opinion. Is it going the wrong way? Well, one thing is encouraging. It's going the wrong way in some ways, but one thing is encouraging is that uh, was it 23 states now have uh, concealed carry laws. And that's right. Number. That's right. And uh, that that you wouldn't predict that happening, but uh, it's happening and seem to be successful. So um, I know that there's a lot of laws against. Uh, assault weapons and these silly things that they define as assault weapons. So in one sense, it's growing that way, but uh, we're also getting right to carry a, a gun. So I don't know. I'm confused, and you know, we can go either way, and that's one of the reasons it's important to vote for the right people. Okay, I agree. First time caller line, you are on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi, this is Kevin in Nashville. Hi, Kevin. Well, I'm really enjoying the show tonight. Uh, your guest has given us a lot of uh, a really good uh, yes, information and advice. Um and I agree with just about everything you said tonight, excluding uh, the issue of uh, uh, velocity. All right. And uh, this would come up. Of course. I, uh, go ahead. Well, um, uh, I have uh, I own a couple of handguns, and I'm uh, in the security business, and I typically carry a Corbon 135 grain uh, hollow point in my Glock 23. Mm -hmm. 
And if I happen to be carrying my 357, I carry 125 grains in my jacket at hollow points by either Remington or Federal. And I'm sure you're familiar with both of these rounds. That's all hype. That's That's not true. Not true. This uh, record of stops. Look, if you shoot somebody, let me give you an example. Here in San Francisco, some guy came out right at noon on Market Street with a gun and was waving it around and screaming. So the police were called, and uh, they uh, surrounded him and told him uh, to drop the weapon, and he didn't, and they fired one shot. And the guy just... Just flew backwards, gun went flying over. So some fools in the gun business or the ammunition business would say, hey, what kind of gun was that? What kind of bullet was that? I want to get that kind of bullet. So you write down what that was, a super-duper bullet, that whatever did that. Well, the fact is the bullet just grazed the person's skin, didn't even penetrate. It just grazed and gave him a little scratch or like a little abrasion. He just reacted that way. And if I fired a blank at you, you'd probably jump over backwards. It's just it's not the, the force of the bullet or the... Or the well, I'm talking about autopsies. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with Evan Marshall and the oh. plot IU. These Evan, are actual shootings. These are, you know, they're... they're no, doing no they're not. No, I'm very familiar. Evan Marshall is a fraud. This complete hoax. He doesn't have any data on this stuff. So what I'm saying is if you shoot somebody... If I could give you a couple of cases, and say, and this, with this bullet, this guy fell over immediately. With this bullet, this guy continued for 10 minutes. The important thing is, where does it hit him? Sure, it's not sure. a homogeneous situation. If you hit a guy in the spine, it's one thing. If you shoot through his lung, that's a whole different story. Uh, sure, not, I understand that totally. Not the bullet. So, it's, uh, well, <laughs> it's uh, placement. It's what the bullet does. So yeah, that's the important thing. That's correct. And earlier you were talking about uh, the separation of the jacket and the core of the bullet, and Corbon has the... Uh, uh, it's, this is the first time I've ever heard anybody say that Evan Marshall's uh, uh, hoax. And oh, I know all of I've known him for 20 years or something like that. You've known Evan Marshall for 20 years? Yes, uh, I think so. 20, maybe longer. And you're saying he's a hoax. So his data supposedly is a hoax. It's a, it's a joke. He yeah, says it's all secret. He can't reveal sources. I challenged him publicly. I said, look, if you think you had data like this, um, and you don't want to show it to me because I'm going to steal your information or whatever, well, let's agree upon a neutral party. Uh, publicly challenge you a neutral scientist to review your data, see if it's true. What is the uh, the controversy here? Is it velocity versus uh, the argument we're having right now? Well, with, well with the gentleman, uh, you're totally correct in stating that velocity is not the only factor. But, uh, uh, I mean, there are years and years and years. The, the 125 grain semi jacket at hollow point. No, 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 no. What I'm asking, excuse me, what I'm asking is, what is the controversy between these two gentlemen mentioned? Between you, uh, Jason, and the other gentleman. Well, the other, the Evan Marshall is, well, there really isn't a controversy. I don't know. I guess there's still people who believe in that stuff. But um, he says that he went around and, and wrote down and collected data on shootings and, and, and situations where someone fell over immediately after being shot and other and times when they didn't. And saying the, the most effective bullets are the ones that make people fall over. Well, people people fall over for all sorts of reasons. People faint when it, when a gun is pointed at them. They faint when they're when they're shot at and missed. Um, there's, there's a, a wide reaction, a wide uh, variety of reaction to being shot, and it depends on on all sorts of things. And, and attributing it to the bullet and then the velocity of the bullet is complete nonsense. So not only is it nonsense to begin with, his his supposed data is completely fraudulent. It's, it's all made up. But I don't have time to really explain it to you, but but that's my opinion. All right. In your in your judgment um, about a, a specific handgun load and its ability mm-hmm. to uh, to deliver the you know, the wanted effect, of course, uh, mm-hmm. a stopping power. Uh, what do you base your data on, or or what's the data that you base your? Oh, I have a lot of right. data. Well, first of all, it's common sense, and you know that 
What a, there, there are no magic effects of bullets. What a bullet does is destroys tissue. It makes a hole in the body. And this is all explained in my tape, uh, Deadly Effects, Wound Ballistics. It makes a hole, and what it hits, it destroys that tissue. If the tissue is not vital to the body's operational uh, functioning, it doesn't do much in terms of stopping a person immediately. If it hits them in the spine or the central nervous system, the person will generally go down immediately. That, that's the important thing. Now, there are people who, who you shoot at and you hit them in the pinky or skin them, like I described, and, and they'll fly over backwards. But that doesn't mean that the bullet had any particular effect. It's the reaction to it. And you can't attribute that to velocity. Velocity, the only velocity you need a bullet is, is, is the minimum amount to penetrate deeply, and beyond that is counterproductive. It gives you more recoil, it does more harm to the gun, and it causes the bullet to over-distort and come apart, which doesn't is not a good idea. So your argument is you want mass on target. You want bullet placement is the most important thing. Placement and penetration. The bullet is placed in a vital area, and it can penetrate deeply enough to hit, like the aorta, the central, the, uh, the sure, spine, sure. the front, that sort of thing. All right. Makes sense. Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hello, Art. Hi. Thanks for another great program. Sir. And, uh, Mr. Jason, it's a privilege to talk to you. Well, thank you. Uh, I've been a uh, firearms instructor uh, for security in Las Vegas for about 14 years. And uh, I've got a, a burning question for you. Uh, I need to preface it real quick. Uh, we teach our officers that to have a justifiable homicide, you have to have four elements. Uh, that would be ability, opportunity, manifest intent, and then preclusion. And I'm sure you're familiar with all those terms. Mm -hmm. uh, we teach our officers that uh, a primary objective in using deadly force is to incapacitate an opponent. And uh, my question is, uh, we also train them to uh, to use a two-round incapacita incapacitation tap. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, the, 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 uh, the, the doctrine that the second shot is for insurance. So, uh -huh. well, the first of all, as you say, police and and your people, you're not trying to kill people. And if you, if you talk to the police in a the shooting, they weren't trying to kill somebody; they're trying to stop him. Take away his capacity to do you great bodily injury. Yes, or to a, to a hostage or whatever else. So let's put that aside. Now, the reason why you shoot someone is to stop them from doing whatever they're doing or about to do. And you should continue to shoot until the person is clearly not able to do what he's planning to do. And if that takes two shots or three shots or five shots or 14 shots, that's what you do. And that, that's the current doctrine that's been adopted by I don't know, most police departments, many of them, the FBI, I don't know, lately they, they used to have that policy. It used to be that well, you fire one shot and you wait to see what happened, or you fire two shots. Now, you continue to fire until the person is clearly no longer a threat, and that that's justified. Mm -hmm. And I've testified in cases where the police have shot people, and they say, well, they shot them five times. Isn't that excessive force? I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> you just I always shoot. have a student ask me, what's that second shot for? And what we tell them is that in the heat of combat, if you're going to have to draw and fire quickly, the second shot, <clears throat> excuse me, is to uh, to ensure that you know uh, you you get one in where it's supposed to go, uh, because the first one may not go where it's supposed to go. Well, sure, but I think you should continue to shoot. Uh, well, I'll give an example: is a policewoman uh, responded to a, a dispute at a house, and she drove up there, and a guy came on the porch and shot her in the chest, um, and she had a vest on, and the vest stopped the bullet. She shot back and waited. She fired twice and waited because she did her thing, fired twice and waited, 
and the guy took the time while she was waiting to raise his gun up and shoot her again before yeah. he died. And killed her. We tell him two round center mass, then the pelvic girdle, and then the last choice well, would this, be a headshot. Listen, this pelvic girdle is nonsense. Some people are going around saying if you shoot someone with a pelvic girdle, the whole body will collapse. If you ever seen a bone, you shoot through a bone and you're hunting an animal, the bone is uh, very resilient, sort of like plasticized. It, it, it does not fracture and crumble apart like a like a like a piece of glass. That's complete nonsense. You should you just keep shooting at somebody until they're no longer a threat. Generally, that means when they've fallen over. And uh, two shots may not be enough. I wouldn't. I just say you continue to shoot until the person is well, not doing. We we, too, we teach them that, but uh, they, uh, okay. initially the two round tap, and then. Uh, All right. So no hard and fast rule. Uh, keep shooting until they're down. That until they're not doing what they're what they threaten to do. All right. That certainly makes sense. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Good morning. Hi, I'm Paul from Wisconsin. Hi, Paul. Uh, I'm a law enforcement officer here and been listening to your show. Uh, I agree with uh, everything you're talking about, Alex. Thank you. Um, I guess just a, a comment and maybe a question. Uh, two years ago, um, uh, almost to the date, we were involved in a, uh, a fatal shooting of a suspect. And uh, I guess I just want to uh, say something to the callers as far as the responsibility of uh, of owning a weapon. We're trained law enforcement, and the state of Wisconsin, I think, is thought after uh, as uh, one of the leaders uh, in training, and uh, what we've gone through in the last two years, and our civil suit is coming up in uh, March, and this is just the start of it. Um, what we as uh, law enforcement uh, officers have gone through in the last two years, and we're trained for this, um, I think people should prepare themselves for uh, if they're going to be in a confrontation, if they do take somebody's life, uh, what they're going to go through um, after that. And... Uh, how uh, they're going to be responsible for, even if it's justified, uh, what's going to happen to them. That's right. And uh, you make a good point. And I, I see you're very somber about this thing because you, you really know how it works. And that's what I'm trying to educate people, that you're not going to shoot somebody and uh, get carried away on a, on a parade as a hero of the day. You may, but you may not. Those days are over. So right. be I think careful. The John, I think the John Wayne uh, mentality, I think people think, well, I have a gun and, Somebody does something to me, I'm I'm going to take them. Well, when it's all said and done, you don't feel fantastic about it. You you go through a lot of a lot of mental stress, and mm -hmm. it's it's not the happy thing. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. All right, so, thank you very much. Uh, or I also wanted to mention, if I could mention my phone number again, for of anybody course you can. You've got vi describe your videotapes, if you would, one more time. Okay, I've got the there's three basic tapes: deadly weapons. Firearms and firepower, which shows machine guns and silencers and shooting through engine blocks and windows and all sorts of things. It's a basic training to show what guns will do and what they won't do. One thing I do in there is I let someone shoot me with a 308 rifle uh, while I'm wearing a bulletproof vest and standing on one leg. To really? To dispel the myth that a bullet will knock you down. Bullets do not knock people down. Really? That's complete uh, nonsense. You, that's a, you had a lot of confidence, I take it, in that... Uh... Uh, well, in that projection. <laughs> well, I, I knew the vest would work. I was worried the guy was going to shoot me in a leg or something. But anyway, um, the number. Uh, I'll, t well, the other, I'll tell you about the other. Uh, yes, please. Uh, case, but the number to call is eight hundred. Right. Seven six two. Seven two three three. Eight hundred seven six two seven two three three. And that's the, the deadly weapons tape I described. I made it about ten years ago. It's still uh, 
being used all over the world. Then deadly effects, wound ballistics, subtitle is what bullets do to bodies. And this is a very uh, technical, dry exposition and explanation of what bullets do. There's a lot of uh, gory or graphic footage for people. If, you're not, if you don't like that sort of thing, you shouldn't look at it. These are used in medical schools and for police training. It's done with, from a scientific point of view and uh, with a lot of anatomical drawings. And uh, there's a surgeon in there who's the world's expert on this. And then they have deadly force, firearms, self-defense, and the law, which is what you should know if you're going to have a gun for self-defense about when you can use it and when you can't. And then I have another tape I'll just mention because you have so many law enforcement uh, listeners. We have another uh, tape that we don't generally uh, market, uh, but it's uh, called Forensic Firearms Evidence, and that is uh, for police departments. It's a whole training course. The, the tapes I mentioned cost twenty nine ninety five. The other one, this forensic firearms evidence, costs uh, $295. It's a training course with two tapes and a book and an exam. But a lot of police departments use that for training in, in terms of how to utilize uh, evidence from shooting incidents in, for forensic use to, to what to look for, uh, how to preserve the, how to collect the evidence, how to recognize it, and how to preserve it, and how to use it in court. And that's uh, been real popular. It's a very important thing in what I do using this type of evidence. <laughs> so those tapes are available. I'll, get, I'll tell you again, you can call any time, 800 762-7233. Good. Um, here's somebody who uh, is a martial arts teacher, and he asks uh, what he has to do before he gets involved physically with somebody. In other words, is it true, we've always heard, that uh, your your hands are deadly weapons when you're trained as a martial artist? No, uh, generally that's, that's just a bunch of... Bull, really. It's it's it just matters if your life is threatened. Now, if you're if you if you're fighting or about to fight somebody of your own size and he's unarmed, and you pull a gun out and shoot him, um, you have you're going to have to demonstrate to the police and maybe to a jury why you felt your life was threatened and try to convince them that they would feel the same way if they were in that situation. So whether or not you're a cry expert makes you a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more difficult to define yourself as a helpless victim, but slightly. But now, let's say you're being attacked by a guy who's a karate expert. Well, how do you know that he's a karate expert? I mean, he told you that. If you've seen him twist the heads off three other people on his way towards you, <laughs> yes, you could probably you could get away with that and say that he's threatening my life. I really felt the fear of my life. Yes. If if he's just a guy who's gone to a karate stance, uh, no, you can't shoot him. All right. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hello. Hello there. Yeah, hi, Art. Hello. This is hi. Dave uh, in Sacramento. We're a crime scene cleanup company and had advisory CSID lab, Piper Tech, Massacre in L.A. question I have uh, concerns uh, the skeletal and skull cap that's often left behind by transport companies at the, tr at the crime site itself. Some of the coroners are asking us to, to save this, and I wanted to know if there's any kind of sizing that uh, we could determine whether or not we could handle it a different way. Boy, I wish I knew what you just uh, said. I, I wish I did, too. I'm okay, uh, well, after the transport company uh, takes the body away, yes. and we're cleaning up the site, yeah. often behind because of explosion of large, you know, the shotguns or, or a variety yeah. of weapons, uh, there'll be pieces of a head. 
Oh, skull, yeah. Yeah, the skull cap. The, the, the cranium, piece of the cranium. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And well, we're being told that uh, this can be used in the reconstruction of evidence. Oh, a absolutely. They shouldn't leave that behind. And if you do, if that, you exactly. don't cross that when you're cleaning up, you should notify the people who come back and pick it up. Exactly what we're being told. And what I wanted to ask, though, is, is there a minimum uh, or millimeter type of size that, that would, uh, you know, exclude things? Because sometimes we're finding just pieces of bone and jaws, pieces of jaws. But we're not necessarily finding large pieces. Of yeah, but they can be put together like a jigsaw puzzle. Okay, so basically we should keep all that. Absolutely. absolutely. Okay, good. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that in. Now, the other question I have for you are, are they still using luminol to uh, find previously uh, washed away blood in the back bathrooms? Yeah, well, yeah, not just the back bathrooms, but anywhere. Uh, luminol is a very effective uh, chemical reagent that uh, you can spray on an area. If someone killed somebody and, and say that there was blood on the floor, you can clean that thing up. I mean, you can clean it up and use everything on there and mops and rags and everything. It'll look completely clean. It'll, it'll smell clean. But if you spray luminol on there, it will it will glow in the dark if the if blood has been there. We've been warned by the DOJ to, to wear nitrile gloves uh, when we're cleaning up on the crime sites because of the use of luminol. Well, not just because of luminol. Luminol is not the big problem, but... Uh, because of biohazards, you know, AIDS. Well, we use the biohazard material in the gloves, but what, what I'm trying to get at, too, is that uh, they're telling us that there's a reaction, and any kind of reaction from even fingerprint powder is considered carcinogenic. Right? Well, everything is carcinogenic now, and the, the state of California got sued about it, so they're really crazy about it. But you, you better talk to somebody who knows more about that than I do as far as the health hazards. All right, Alex, uh, you said you're frequently up, up until 3, so um, yep. uh, how about one more hour? Okay. All right. One more hour it is. Uh, my guest is Alex Jason. He's in the Bay Area. And he'll be back one more hour of uh, this expert uh, guesting, I guess that's what you'd call it. I don't know about that last call. Yeah, call him back. Come back here and get this head, this part of this head. Yuck. Not my kind of work. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, stay right where you are. It keeps coming from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 3rd, 1997. It absolutely is. Good morning. A riveting program. Alexander Jason is my guest, and he is an expert, a certified senior crime scene analyst, was an investigator, police officer in San Francisco, qualified expert witness, has a a background uh, that would take me the next 10 minutes to read. And we're talking about the use of deadly force when you can, when you can't, and attendant issues.
right. Um, Alex, uh, here, I've got a couple of faxes I want to read. All right. Um, Art, Alex stated that using deadly force against your wife's ex-boyfriend was a different matter. My question is as follows. My wife-to-be's ex came to the house and just walked in. I didn't know him at the time. She was asleep on the couch. Now, if I would have had a gun and I had shot him, would I have gone to jail for murder? Um, I don't know to give you a specific answer to that specific question. It depends on your state state laws about that sort of thing but what i was saying was if some an intruder comes into your house um who's a, a perceived to be a criminal and, and it has criminal intent to be burglarize your house or rob you or sure, kill you sure. that's one thing if, if it's your your ex-wife's boyfriend or whoever it was um it's going to look like they're going to look to make sure this is not some kind of a jealousy dispute or uh the three-way triangle kind of thing. So it's going to be looked at very differently. So that's what I meant. If it's a clean situation in terms of you're minding your own business, you're at home, someone breaks into your house, has no right to be there for criminal intent, um, that will be much easier to explain to the police and have them accept than if it's someone who's related to you. So if you shot that person, uh, yeah, there'd be uh, you'd be going downtown for a discussion. All right. Like well, what about the classic? Uh, you come home. Uh, you walk in the house, and there's your wife with another man in bed, and you pull out a gun and shoot him. No, you can't do that. You can't, can't do that. Because the reason, you, if, if someone asked you, well, why did you shoot him? You say, well, I'm not going to let anybody do that to my wife. Well, that's not a legal justification. You have to have someone's life in danger. Suppose you were saying, suppose you said, well, I thought she was being raped. Well, you know, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Uh, you know, I mean, if you if you can convince the police of that, and then perhaps the DA and perhaps uh, a jury, then you know, fine. I mean, that, 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 and it's probably happened. That would be a, a, a certainly a better line than uh, I was jealous and angry. Yeah, or I, I I'm just mad at that guy. Mm -hmm. All right, here's another one. Besides the Kennedy assassination, and you're right, it's religion. We'll leave it alone. And the, the, this one comes close to being religion as well, but it's forensics. And it's interesting, and it's Vince Foster. Oh, I don't really know, to tell you the truth. I, I've, people ask me about that. I've never got into it. Because, see, when I, when I have to give an answer to this, these kind of questions, I have to really research it. And, like, I found an old Army buddy of mine I knew years ago, and he, he's a JFK nut. So he gives me a pepper with all these questions. But I, said, I don't have time. I just can't give you the answer. I have to do a whole research project to, to answer these questions specifically. So... I'm very cautious about what I will comment upon. Unless I really know the case of Vince Foster, I, I don't know. I just I haven't delved into it. I've got enough work to do that, that I need to do than get involved in something like that. It's an interesting case, but I don't know. All right. Uh, Art, every time a gun is fired, we evolve less as a culture. Guns are reactive measures against something. In other words, revolution, even with only faith, not in the religious sense, as my only uh, measure against evil in society. So he's against guns, sort of as a religion, saying that we evolve or devolve every time a gun is fired. Um, how do you react to that kind of argument? Oh, well, it's a real uh, philosophical... It is, yes, it is. I would just say, uh, you know, I, I respect your right to feel that way, but don't. I hope you'll respect my right to feel the way that I do, that I would like to have protection uh, at certain times to... to to use a, a gun or other instruments to protect myself if I don't threaten other innocent people. 
Okay, here's another good one. Um, uh, we've been talking about guns, but suppose you've got a really mean junkyard kind of dog out in your fenced yard. Somebody jumps your fence, and your big mean dog uh, rips out his juggler vein, and he's dead in your yard. Now what? Well, the question is, did you order the dog to kill him? No. He just did it. Yeah. No, I don't. There's not a question there. If you're not involved, then then it might be a question of whether you have a hazardous dog or not. But you're getting into real specific legal things that I, I, I'm not really qualified to answer these kind of questions. A lawyer should answer them. But I just tell you, my general opinion is that um, if someone jumps into your yard where the dog is, uh, then that's you're not going to have a problem. With Generally, it. tough luck. Huh? If the dog is running around the street and does that, then I think you'd have a, a right. harder time. All right. First time caller line. You're on the air with uh, Alex Jason. Hi. Yes, good evening, Art. Uh, my name is John, calling from Montana. Yes, sir. Hi, John. I have a couple comments and a couple questions <clears throat> regarding uh, the gentleman that put the bulletproof vest on. Yep. How do you feel about, um, I shoot a two sixty four Magnum. Do you think a bulletproof vest would stop that round? Well, uh, sure, if it was the right vest. <laughs> I, put, uh... I mean, shooting a 110-grain bullet at, the, at my muzzle velocity? Well, I'm saying that you can... Make a vest that will stop anything. It might be uh, a 200-pound vest for a certain thing. Right. It be impractical. So there are vests and there are vests. Now, the vests that stop rifle bullets um, have to have, by current technology, steel or ceramic in them. They can't be uh, the Kevlar uh, polyaramid-type fibers mm -hmm. alone. They have to have something more than that. But for handgun bullets, you can generally stop almost all handgun bullets, the normal handgun bullets, with uh, fabric. Right. Being a big game hunter, I you know a lot of people say you you need the big bullet, but you know my magnum in that little bullet, you know I kill elk regular, mm -hmm. and I have no problem. Sure. Um, my other comment is with handguns and the shotgun. I think Art is kind of partial to the shotgun, and I am as well. Um, I have no use for handguns, and that probably upsets a lot of people. I think they hurt people. I mean mm -hmm. myself for my home security, I'll take my 10 gauge double barrel. Uh, we'll call it short barrel and not sawed off because sawed off is not legal. Um, four and a quarter inch buckshot. I mean, you don't have to aim it. All you have to do is point, shoots through walls. I mean, well, that could be a hazard too, can it? Though, if you have, if you're shooting through walls and it could be somebody, good person on the other side, one of your family members or something. Well, I mean, I'm not against what you're saying. I'm fine, but if you like that gun, that's, that's a hell of a gun. Uh, but I hope you don't deny me the right to have a 22 if that's what I wanted. No, so, uh, the fact of the matter is, I believe the twenty-two is the uh, weapon of choice for professional assassins. Uh, is that true or a myth? Uh, um, it's, it's, it's generally a myth in that there are very few professional assassins, so it's really hard to say what they're what what what, what they get trained on in school or whatever, how their their uh, equipment load because there's so few. The twenty-two is effective and for that sort of thing because you could make it subsonic. See, a silencer is not really effective on a weapon unless it's a subsonic round. That the, the bullet itself goes less, uh, velocity is less than the speed of sound. Otherwise, it makes a sonic crack. So for that reason, you could take a twenty-two, and a twenty-two could also be very small. And uh, for assassin, uh, you could get it right close to somebody, so you don't really need a big bullet if you're going to have proper placement right in the head. But So it, it can work, but it's not. it's not really like... Anybody shot in the head with a 22 has to be uh, have been assassinated. All right, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Alex Jason uh, in San Francisco. Hi, where are you? Yes, good morning, guy. I'm Pat from LA. 
Yes, sir. Uh, two quick comments and a question. Uh, in Texas, I understand that if you kill a man in that's committing adultery with your wife, you're allowed to kill him, and that's a, a law. Well, I don't know. That's the Texas law. You know, but I doubt if it is. If it, if it is now, maybe it was, but but I don't know. I've heard of people actually getting off within recent years uh, on that. Uh, that's just my comment. Um, another comment: Kennedy assassination. I saw a film that showed the driver with his left hand have a gun over his right shoulder. Oh, uh, here we go. I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I've seen it. Everybody's seen it. The, oh, okay. The, the glint. Uh, uh, yeah. They say it's a weapon. I saw nothing more than a glint. Yeah, I didn't see any weapon. Okay, now I saw the weapon uh, in the part that I saw, but that's okay. I didn't know you guys had seen that. My main question is, um, I'm uh, too afraid to, to have a gun in my vehicle, and I carry a BB gun, CO2, 60 shot. And what kind of uh, trouble am I letting myself in, uh, you know, with the police and misunderstandings and things like that? Well, the problem is, what do you carry it for? For what purpose? Oh, I'm sorry, he's gone. Uh, oh. Well, if he if he carries it to use to hold up to, like, if someone's coming out and he could just scare him with the BB gun because it looks like a real gun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that that has some good points and some bad points. Uh, what it does is if someone sees that and perceives it as a real gun, which would easily, could easily be done, then they're justified in using deadly force against that person with a BB gun because they think it's a real gun. So then you can't defend yourself, so it's kind of a bad idea. So uh, if you're going to have a gun, you ought to have a real gun. Well, maybe, or no gun. Uh, you know, I don't know. And then if the police don't like this stuff, and often, I know in San Francisco, for example, it's illegal to have a BB gun. So it is? It's illegal to have a BB gun, to possess one, not shoot one, but to possess one. It's illegal to possess a BB gun? It's, in the city of San Francisco, it's illegal to, unless they change the law, which I doubt, it's illegal to own, possess, or have in your drawer or anywhere else a BB gun. Oh, my. Why have you um, chosen San Francisco <laughs> <I'm curious laughs> as, a, as a place to live? You get down to the nitty-gritty, don't you? I'm trying to save it. Um. You're trying to save San Francisco. Yeah, that... <laughs> uh, you really do like big projects, don't you? Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hello. Uh, yes, Art. Enjoying your show as usual. This is Rick from Plattsburgh. Plattsburgh, uh, New York? Yes, I am. All right. Uh, I have uh, first a favor, a uh, couple of quick comments, and then a question. The favor is I lost your feet at 5 o'clock, so if you could keep me on so I could hear his answer. All right. Uh, the uh, the comment I wanted to make is uh, you had a lot of uh, law enforcement people call yes and uh, uh, you know telling about their experience that they're all trained and everything uh, the reality the reality of this situation is this I live in a very small community uh, four years ago I was burglarized house was trashed uh, possessions stolen uh, I I don't care about possessions they can be replaced luckily we were not home. Two years ago, there was a very brutal rape and murder uh, two miles from my home. Uh, it was it was so vicious, the guy actually tortured this young mother for hours before he finally murdered her. I have a uh, I have a petite wife and a young daughter at home. Uh, I I own a handgun. It's right next to my bed. Uh, I have gone over the scenario of what I would do in a situation. If someone were to uh, break into my house and, and threaten us, this is the reality of the situation for all those people out there that don't think that that we should own handguns. I'm in my home, and I and, I, and the scenario is this: someone comes in my house, mm -hmm. they turn at the bottom of my stairs, and I'm up in, in time enough to see them turn at the bottom of my stairs. That's about 20 feet. I can say to them, 
halt, I have a gun, don't come any further or I can shoot. I would have enough time to do that. If, if on the other hand, I'm at the top of my stairs and the guy is halfway up the stairs, <clears throat> the reality of it is I'm thinking of my young daughter and I'm thinking of my wife and I'm thinking if he gets by me, they can't, they're, they're helpless. Well, He's going that's a, down. That's a reasonable expectation uh, generally and you should check your local uh, laws, but I want to tell you how in a minute. But um, you generally don't have to wait until the guy's uh, on top of you or anything like that. It's in your house, but you might check your local, I don't know what New York State laws are, but if you're in your home and someone's coming in there with a criminal intent, either to burglarize a home or to kill somebody, you don't have a problem with that. The, the, the reality is is that is that I'm not going to be thinking, uh, gee, uh, does he have a weapon in his hand? Uh, does he mean to hurt us? You don't have to. Uh, uh, is he bigger than I am? Is he going to kick my butt? No, you don't have I'm, to worry about I'm that. thinking he's not getting to my wife and daughter. No, you're right. And in your home, you don't have to go through all that stuff. Anybody in your home, no, I would suggest that you do as you said. Challenge the person first. Make sure it's not uh, uh, the if there's next time. door looking for his baseball or something. Challenge him. And then, if the guy's coming at you, I, I wouldn't hesitate, but... You know, this is my opinion. I'm not well, a lawyer. Well, well I, I, I think, you know, well, with these all these law enforcement agents are saying, you know, well, we're trained, you know, to make sure they've got a way. I, I just want people to realize you're not thinking about that. that no. That's the last thing in your mind. No. I'm not going to ask the guy, gee, are you just here to steal the family jewels? Yeah. Or or uh, no. do you mean to hurt us? In he, your home, it's down. a different story. You're, you're justified generally in doing something like that. But let me explain something. There's... Jury instructions, and every state has them. If you find them in the library, you can look this kind of stuff up. They're very specific. Yeah, you were going to read one, as a matter of fact. Yeah, here, here's one. This is just one. They're written in, in human English terms, so you can have to be a lawyer to understand this stuff. Here's one that, that the judge would read to the jury. All right. And it's titled, Resisting an Intruder Upon One's Property. That's the title. Now, this is California. This is only California. And it says... A person may defend his home or habitation against anyone who manifestly intends or endeavors in a violent or riotous manner to enter that home or habitation and who appears to intend violence to any person in the house. The amount of force which the person may use in resisting such trespass is limited by what would appear to be a reason to a reasonable person in the same same or similar circumstances necessary to resist the violent or unlawful entry. He is not bound to retreat even though a retreat might safely be made. He may resist force with force, increasing it in proportion to the intruder's persistence and violence if the circumstances which are apparent to the homeowner are such as would excite similar fears and a similar belief in a reasonable person. And that means that if you are afraid you have that fear, whether it's true or not, but if, if somebody else in that position would have also perceived the situation the way you have, that's what the jury has to decide. Now, you can find these, these jury instructions in the law library. You look them up, and my, the tape discusses this. And that will give you specifics about this stuff. Because it's very difficult to get information. If you call the police department, they're not going to tell you this stuff. They, they, they think you're maybe some kind of nut that's going to kill your wife and then say that Officer Jones said it was okay. If you ask a lawyer friend of yours, he probably doesn't know about this stuff. He's probably doing wills and business law and other things. Sure. It's a very specific area. So, and if you ask the guy at the gun store, he's going to give you wrong information. So the best thing you can do is to get the jury instructions for your state, or if I might, might say, get my tape. And by the way, the people, uh, they called me, the people that take the orders, and they said uh, they're getting, people are calling in, but please don't ask the people who answer the phone 
uh, about the, they just they just take the orders. They don't know anything about the guns or about the law or anything. So right. just if you want to buy a tape, it's eight hundred seven six two seven two three three eight hundred seven six two seven two three three. And you can call to give the address if you want to send in for uh, a check or if you want more information or something. They'll they'll help you there. Yeah, they're probably asking the poor operators about specific situations yeah. and they're probably going, I'm sorry, I couldn't begin to advise That's you. That's right. They say, well, I have a, sorry, so I have a 22 or something that's asking, you know, they just, they just take orders. They don't, All right. they don't know anything. All right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Good morning. Yeah, this is Spoke, Spoke Ron, Spokane. Yes, sir. Yeah, actually, I was going to plug this tape. I actually saw it 10 years ago and uh, nobody's called. I, I know you're they're kind of pushing this tape, and oh, you I saw tell you, the, I've seen this tape. The deadly weapons tape, probably. right? And it yeah. was beautiful. It was excellent. I loved it. In fact, oh. I was about eighteen. No, I was twenty years old when I saw it. I'm thirty now, and I have reflected back on it many times. Is, is this the tape, or at the end, you actually do shoot the engine block with a sixty caliber? Uh... <laughs> well, we shoot a car with a fifty caliber machine gun. Fifty caliber the... machine gun. It does go through the block. Right, it shot through the seat. Okay, that was an excellent tape. You actually shot to, to some clay blocks through some brush and showed tumbling of bullets, right? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Excellent tape. Hey, Thank any, you very much. Any listeners, buy this tape. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got to say I'm getting similar messages. Uh, people saying, gosh, you know, I just realized who this guy is. Oh. And uh, and I've seen the tape, and it's it really is incredible. So mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of comment like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a great tape. But I have actually a few questions. Okay. I've been in a few uh, precarious situations here recently as of uh, Christmas time in Seattle. I live in Spokane. I, went, uh, I had a gentleman jump in the front seat of my car at a gas station. I'll tell you what. Hold, hold that thought. Uh, okay. Let, let us finish after the break. Stay right where you are, both of you. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight... Featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. Listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight, 
featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 3rd, 1997. It is indeed. In a moment, we will randomly dip into the waiting gene pool and see what's out there. From the high desert, talk radio all the evening long. Stay right there. Well, all right, uh, back we go to Alex Jason, my guest, and um, Eric Caller. Caller, I, sorry to hold you over, but, you know, the clock and all that. So go ahead. Are you there? Yes. Yeah, we're here. Well, what we got, what we had going on is I had this gentleman getting the front seat of my car, <laughs> uh, uninvited. And, uh, a good lesson to be learned here. Uh, always lock your doors, but nevertheless, uh, um, he had jumped in and he wouldn't get out. And, uh, he wanted a ride, but actually, he wanted more than that. He wanted some money. Uh, after I told him to get out of the car and he wouldn't, it came down to give him some money and he'd leave. And, uh, uh, you know, basically, I couldn't, I just couldn't get him out of the car, and... Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, what I did is I just drove right to a police officer, hopped out, walked up to him and told him the situation, they arrested him. But, you know, <laughs> they couldn't hold him. <laughs> and it was a real funny thing, you know, because he didn't pull a weapon out on me or anything. Mm. But, you know, he gave me three choices. What was he, that? he told me either give me some money or um, you call somebody who can get some money. <laughs> And he didn't give me the third choice. Isn't and I'm, that... I'm thinking, well, it was obviously, to me, bodily harm. And what I'm getting at is, is people's perception of their life being in danger different to different people? I mean, I'm sure. No, no, it's a very good point. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can imagine he would uh, perceive his life was in danger if he didn't comply in one way or the other. But here's the bottom line on it. Now, what was, how the police would look at it is this. Let, let's say, so you... you he went through this whole thing, and then you, meanwhile, got the gun up under your seat and just shot him. And they would say, well, now, wait a minute. You know, the guy who didn't threaten you, and he may have said that the choice number three, he didn't, but there was no imminent threat. Now, if he just jumped in the car and you pulled your gun and shot him, you sort of have a better case than if you'd had this chat with him about what he wants and so on. Because then the assumption would be jumping in the car, he's going to he's gonna rob you, he's going to get you. But... What, what the police are looking for is an understanding that there was a threat to bodily harm or a crime that's being committed, a serious crime, one of the serious crimes, rape, robbery, murder, that sort of thing. He was intending to do that. So it's, that's an odd situation. So if you said, well, the guy told me this and he told me that, and then he said I had three choices and uh, he didn't name the third one, so I figured that was a bodily harm. So I just took my gun and I shot him. I don't know. You know, the people who are taking a close look at that. Now, then it would come up to, like, how, what's the press saying about this? Poor, innocent hitchhiker killed by a savage white racist? Or, you know, how is this portrayed? And that would make a big difference. So, in that situation, you did the right thing. All right. A uh, question for you. General question, um, Alex. Do we have a fair justice system? Uh, in your opinion, uh, I know it's a very general question, but is it fair? I mean, the perception is if you've got money, if you're accused of a crime, you can get the right experts, maybe people like you, um, the right attorneys, uh, dream teams, that sort of thing. Your chances of walking are much better. Is that fair or just the way it is? Well, a deep question, Art. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a forensic guy. This is a philosophical thing or political um, I think uh, I see a lot of things that aren't fair. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> but if you said, "Okay, well, how do you how are you going to fix this? What do you want to do?" 
you're in charge. I'm not sure. I know one thing I do is in civil matters, make the loser pay. Uh, that would help things quite a bit. <clears throat> but in the criminal things where you say, yeah, if you have a dream team, you're much better off than the guy who's got the public defender, uh, it's true. It's true. Uh, but I don't know what to do about it. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that there, nothing should be done. I'm just not the guy to ask. I don't have all the answers. I've got you, and I appreciate that, too. <laughs> First time caller line, you are on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi, uh, this is Roger in Clear Lake, California. Yes, sir. I wanted to know uh, if he could give me a little more information about uh, both the BBs being illegal, uh, BB guns, and also what about uh, guard dogs and attack dogs on your property and how they would be used in the situations he's talking about. All right, well, we just covered that one. Uh, uh, well, both, really. I think there's one thing about guard dogs. I know there was a case where somebody, um, I think they murdered, uh, well, was, was convicted of murdering his wife, by ordering his dog to attack the wife, and, and, and he killed her, Pitbull, I think, and he was convicted of murder. So any instrument you use, you know, if you tell a, uh, a two-year-old, if you could train a two-year-old or a three-year-old, go over there and stick this in into mommy or whatever, I mean, you, you can commit murder, not the child. He wouldn't be convicted of murder, but you would. So by any instrument, uh, by any any method, that that's illegal. Hmm. Now, if someone's attacking you and you order a dog to attack them, yeah, that, that's okay. And a dog, dog is not generally considered deadly force, but I don't think it's really been defined. I know I had a case once where we had to use some dogs, and I, I got this guy I knew at the San Francisco Police Department, a dog expert. I said, now, you know, if I stick the dog on somebody, is that my, is the same as shooting somebody, or what is it? You know, we have a big discussion about it. All right, here's a question I'd like to ask you, um, which you're, you're free not to answer, uh, Alex, but somebody with your depth of knowledge of crime scenes, ballistics, all the rest of it. If you wanted to commit a murder and not be caught, could you? Um, you have to be able to control all the variables, and that's very difficult um, to say that I'm going to control everything, that, that I'm going to, no one will see what I do, no one will know what I do. Uh -huh. um, it, it is possible, and it probably happens more often than, than we know. I mean, I got a lot of cases, a lot of cases I, I, I'm, I'm given that they want to know, is this a suicide or a murder? And it's very difficult to tell. A lot of times I, I tell them, I, look, you, you can't tell. It's consistent with either one, especially where you have the, like, the husband says that he came in, the wife is going to commit suicide, and she had the gun to her head, and he reached over, and he grabbed the gun, tried to pull it away from her, and she fired it. Yeah. So you have both hands in close proximity to the gun. You have gunshot residue perhaps on both hands. You, yeah. have, it, 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 you just can't tell. So sometimes that happens. I'm, I'm sure it does. But could I plan one? Oh, gosh, I have to wear a decontamination suit. I mean, you wouldn't believe that. Well, you saw some of the stuff from the O.J. trials. Sure. The depth of forensic science now, when they really go to town and collect everything properly and analyze it properly, you have a hard time getting away with something. Awful lot, really of difference and awful lot of difference between now and 100 years ago. Or even uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Big DNA, I mean, good grief. Look at this. Amazing. Uh, it is amazing. You're right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Alex Jason in San Francisco. Hello. Hi, um, Art. Um, you've had a lot of questions and things about um, guns and things. What about, um, okay, using the pepper spray stuff, um, is that considered uh, um, a weapon, or what is it? Is well, it's one? not deadly force, but what what is it, uh, Alex? Well, each state, I think, defines it. And um, I think in California, just talking about making it a felony to... Um, to use it to inappropriately, I, I forget how they define that, but you have to check on your own state. It's not deadly force, and you can use that even if you're not in fear of your life. Uh, but you have to check your local laws about that. Okay, not, and I have one more question. Okay. 
Um, what do you know about UFOs? <laughs> don't know anything about them. Uh, don't shoot at them. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, how are you tonight? Oh, uh, fine. This is Tim in Orlando. Yes, hi, Tim. And uh, I'm losing you in Charlotte, and I can't quite pick you up in Chicago anymore, but I'd sure like to hear the answer. Uh, earlier tonight, he was talking about velocities, or somebody was calling talking about velocity, ballistics, right. and such. And uh, as a former medic and also as a former uh, Army officer, I, uh, I know a little bit about that. And, uh, it, you know, it seems that if you look back at the Army, there was a change in philosophy and warfare uh, before, just before the Vietnam War. And uh, early on, they used to use, uh, you know, 45s, uh, 30-06, uh, those type of rounds. Right. And generally, the idea was to kill people. And then with Vietnam, you came out with uh, high-velocity, low-mass uh, ballistics, and generally they maimed. And that was the idea because then it takes that guy out plus somebody else to carry him away. Exactly. You yeah. Yeah, maybe and there are massive resources to put him in the hospital and treat him, sure. Exactly. So really, you know, a 45 generally, when it hits, it penetrates and knocks the person down. Well, uh, it doesn't, doesn't knock him down. That's a myth. But it does penetrate very deeply. Yeah, indeed it does. Indeed it does. And in fact, uh, working in emergency rooms, you know, we see wounds from 22s. And 22s are really an odd weapon, uh, yeah. ballistic. I mean, I've seen them hit the skin and hit a rib and then travel all the way around to the other side and come back out without doing sure. much damage. See, another variance in 22s that makes them so odd, and that's why you have so much anecdotal evidence describing different uh, occurrences, is because sometimes they're fired from a handgun, sometimes from a rifle. So you go yeah, all exactly. different effects. Yeah, you get a little more spin on the bullet with a rifle, and it tends to penetrate a little better. But uh, another thing, too, is if it hits the chest, it gets inside there and bounces all around, tears things up pretty good, too. Mm -hmm. So it just all depends on, uh, you know, the, the velocity and the... And, and the amount of uh, mass of the bullet. Well, uh, not only the velocities, what the bullet hits. If it hits something important, you got problems. If it doesn't, you don't as much. So that, that that's really the the key thing. But it's not velocity alone. I mean, I have a picture I use in, in, in some in, when I give uh, talks where I show a foot. And this is a, a, a naked foot of someone who's been shot through the foot along the plane of the sole of the foot. So it went in, so just under the heel, just about the sole of the foot came out just before the toes. So it just went under the skin and came out. And I show it to people and say, what, 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 what do you think that did this? What kind of a weapon? What kind of bullet? And you all kind of estimates. But it's, a, it's an M16. Because M16 does no more damage than a 22 caliber bullet, slightly more, but nothing significant, if it doesn't yaw. But this is, a, I guess, a time maybe for another program or something about how bullets work and what they do. But generally, uh, the velocity of an of a M16 is much higher than a 22. The velocity of the M16 is like 3,200, 3,100 feet per second, and a 22 is like typically 1,100, maybe 1,200, 1,300 feet per second. But the effect is not very different if the bullet doesn't yaw. But that, that's, I'm sorry, I'm getting too technical here. But anyway, right. velocity is not the thing. Placement, what the bullet hits is the important thing. All right. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Alex. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Where are you, sir? Excellent. Uh, Roseburg. Uh, excellent Roseburg. All right. <laughs> There's one one thing that uh, Alex hasn't mentioned. All right. And this I feel is fundamental. He's I, by the way he's been excellent all night, Art. You've got a great uh, guest on tonight. But here's the one thing he hasn't mentioned. As he has stated, the one thing in self-defense that you don't want to have to do is shoot anyone. And the best way to avoid that is to use guns with a large hole. In other words, if you're using a pistol to defend yourself, use a 45. Because when someone sees that big hole, they know that you mean what you're going to say. 
And when you're using, above all else, a shotgun, any time a woman points a 12-gauge shotgun at someone, he's going to jump out the window, down the stairs. Oh, yeah. He is not going to face it. And if he does... You better shoot him immediately. Well, that's that'd be crazy. Yeah, because he's nuts. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's, a, that's another sort of small thing in your favor. But yeah, sure, you could make sense. Big holes are good. Big holes are better than small holes. Generally, yeah. <laughs> West of the Rockies. Uh, no, you would have been on there. East of the Rockies. Uh, nope. Wild card line. First time caller line. Cut. I'll get it straight. You're on the air with Alex Jason. Hello. Yes, uh, this is Eric in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi there. Uh, Hi, Eric. Just a couple of quick uh, points to make, um, and then I'll let you take over. The first is, if you do have to use deadly force, whether it be in the home or out in the street, um, the person's down on the ground. Um, should you continue to cover the person with your weapon? And uh, if so, what do you do when the police arrive? Yeah, oh, that is that that is a very well, good point. If if you let's say someone is armed, has a gun, and you shoot him, and now he's down on the ground, um, you have to consider him still a threat. You, know, you don't know if he's dead or if he just if he just ducked down, if he lay, laying on the ground, or he's actually shot. It's not like in the movies where you see someone shot in the movies and their blood flies out in the front where the where the entry wound is. It's not like that at all. Most wounds are not visible uh, when you shoot somebody. The, the the skin will heal, and not heal, excuse me, will contract around the wound, and it's much smaller than the diameter of the bullet. And if you have clothing on, especially dark clothing, you, you, you don't even know if you shot the guy. And they're not going to fall over backwards. That's all a myth. I mean, they might, but that's a reaction to the to being shot out of fear, but not, not the bullet doesn't do that. So you you generally don't know if you shot someone. If they fall down, look at what, they, what they're doing with their hands. If the gun is now disconnected and the gun's falling away from the body, keep, keep, him, uh, keep your gun on him. And if he starts to move towards a gun, you can shoot him again, probably. So when we, in a movie, in a movie, when we see somebody shot and they literally fly across the room, that's right. That's generally baloney. Well, it's not generally; it's always baloney. And even with a with a 12 shotgun, if you think about the very fundamental physics, that the 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 recoil cannot be greater than the impact of the bullet, or the impact of the bullet cannot be greater than the recoil, which means. They're opposite. If it would knock the bullet would knock a man down, it would knock down the man firing the gun. Do you know how many movies you're going to ruin for me now? I mean, oh. I, I have seen people blown from one side of the room through a window and then fall about a hundred stories. And I know, and that's why I made that tape where I stand on one leg and get shot with a bulletproof vest to show that a bullet doesn't do that. And it's just that if, if someone comes up behind you and sticks you in the rear with a pin you might jump two feet in the air. That's not the force of the pin or the metal or the angle, the velocity of it. It's just your reaction. I bet you have not had a lot of consultant jobs in Hollywood, have you? Well, they, they, actually, they do. They call me once in a while, but <laughs> they don't really want accuracy. They want you know other things. They want fun stuff. They're not interested in doing things. You know, If you saw someone shot in a movie the way it really is, where a guy stands there and he gets shot and he goes, oh, oh, and there's, there's no dramatic impact. No, you're absolutely right. But you've still ruined the movies. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Alex Jason. Hi. Hi, this is Tina in North Pole. In North Pole, Alaska? Yes, sir. All right. Um, wow. I'd like to say that the situation for women is a little bit different in some of the scenarios that you've mentioned. In okay. other words, um, a man jumping into my car and I'm alone with my children, mm. I would be more justified in shooting him. Well, you would. You're, you're absolutely right. But just bear in mind, the law makes no distinction. It doesn't say, well, women, however, can do this, and men, however, can only do that. So 
legally, we have equality, you know, that doesn't mention any difference in gender. So the law technically is the same. However, when police get there, they're going to evaluate the situation, see you, the little baby in a baby seat and so on, sure. and they're going to be much more sympathetic, and it's just common sense that they are going to be, they're going to give you a lot more latitude, and you're right. Right. But, but I'm just trying to tell people the basics to keep them out of trouble, and then you can sort of go from there. Well, I have but, a question. If, yes, yes ma'am. If I'm walking out of a grocery store and I'm heading to my car and a man is charging at me and I don't see a weapon, but I feel that he's going to attack me, yeah. um, am I justified in shooting him? Oh, yeah, I'm good. You know what I happens know, is... If my husband is, is five foot nine and weighs 195 pounds, mm-hmm. and this man is, let's say, 5'8 and weighs 150 pounds, he may not be justified, but I may be. He may be, but here's the question they're gonna, that they want answered. Why did you shoot the guy? Now, that, that, that's the key thing. And how you respond to that question is going to make the difference between your, whether you're justified or not. And, you know, what happens is if you find out who this guy is, if he's the mayor's son or if he's the guy who was chasing a basketball and you, you, you misinterpreted what he was doing or, or if he's a crazed maniac from the mental institution, just got out, uh, and he's got a big machete, then that's something else. But, they're going to take a hard look at what happened here. Why did you shoot him? Or why did you think you had to? Maybe you did have to, but they want to know that. So you have to be able to to discuss that. Okay. All right. Well, she's going to say, I thought he was uh, he, he was going to grab me, jump me, uh, whatever. Okay. Then they're going to look at him. And let's say if he's still alive, they say, well, what, what were you doing? He said, well, I want to help with the groceries. And then you're going to be in big trouble. And if he has a record of being a rapist and stuff, that's something else. But let's say he's dead. They're going to have a real hard look at this. A guy in broad daylight comes out, and she shoots him. And if you say he didn't say anything to me, did he say he was going to kill you or he wanted to rob you or something? You say, no, he just came after me. They're going to say, why don't you just back up and scream? So it's a real, that's a real touchy area. If you can justify it, if you can explain it in terms that another person in a similar situation would feel the way you did, then generally that's justifiable. But that would be a hard one to justify just on that basis because at night, Roll alone and that sort of thing. That'd be that'd be more in your favor. So it's different at night. It's just it's it's, it's there's no computer involved. This is what humans understand. That you know that you're more risky. You're coming out of work. It's at night. You're alone in a dark parking lot, and some guy attacks you. That would be much different than a broad daylight in a in a shopping center, and you're coming out of a, of a supermarket, and there's all kind of people around. Well, you could have just said help, help, and there were all kind of people that could have helped you, but you shot him. Yeah. Just because he was coming at you, maybe he tripped and he was falling. You know, you're going to have to explain that. All right. Well, it all it, it comes down, um, Alex, doesn't it, to that reasonable man thing, Re- that, reasonable it. person. Exactly. The reasonable test. That's yeah. the reasonableness. Would another person, a reasonable person, in the same situation that you found yourself in, feel the same way you did? That's what they're going to ask the jury, and that's what the police are going to be thinking. That's what the district attorney is going to be thinking. All right, listen, my friend, we are out of time. You have videotapes. They're, um, I guess, world-renowned, because I'm hearing so much about them. Uh, if people want them... There is, they can call 800-762-7233. 800-762-7233. And I'll send you information about them, or you can buy them with a credit card or whatever. Well, it has been a very uh, illuminating night, to say the least, and I appreciate you being here, Alex. Well, thank you for the invitation. I appreciated your callers. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. So thank you all. It was another great program, and from the high desert, I'm Art Bell. Good night, America. Good night, Canada. Good night, Cosmos. All of you out there, wherever you are, good night. Good night.